Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Wine Coven. Before we get to the show, we have an exciting announcement because we are doing a live show in Los Angeles, Woo! the city of angels, <laughs> on Wednesday. City. The windy, the sunshine state. <laughs> um, on Wednesday, December fourth, at Largo. Yeah. OMG, we are so excited to be in this space. Lucy, how do we get tickets? Oh, you can get tickets at wineandcrimepodcast.com forward slash live. Just go to the website. There's all the information you'll ever need. We're so excited. We will see you in L.A. on Wednesday, December 4th. We cannot wait. Now on to the show. You are listening to Whining Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I really am unleashing my Minnesotan accent because I spent the weekend at the casino. Oh, Mystic Lake. Mystic Lake Resort and Casino. I was so hammered. I did a one in the morning ask me anything on Twitter and my spelling was atrocious. I think you said ask (laughs) me Emmy Fig. Probably. <laughs> I probably did. But I went back and looked at Which it the next Fig day. Which Fig Newton is your favorite? Which flavor Fig Newton? <laughs> the next day, Psych, all hung over. all one flavor. I was at my friend Robbie's house, and I was like, oh, God, I forgot. I did this drunk AMA on Twitter last night, and he's like, oh, God, we have to review these tweets. So I didn't say anything that could end my career. So I feel pretty good about it. <laughs> That's good. Mm-hmm. What a relief. I mean, you do have experience what, what talking to a large public while wasted. Oh, this is accurate. So, yeah, I mean, you're fine. You've got I'm experience. Fine. And fine. now for yeah. the juice cleanse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now I'm like ill and only drinking apple juice and wine for the mm-hmm. next four days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Who are I'm we? trying not to. Oh, oh, fuck shit. it, whatever, yeah. I forgot to, fuck. <sighs> I'm Kenyon. I'm Lucy, whatever. I'm Amanda, everything's dust. Everything's <laughs> dust. <laughs> um, But you know what's not dust? Nuns. Oh, <laughs> well. <laughs> some nuns are dust. <laughs> that was the weirdest segue we've had in a while. <laughs> We haven't recorded in a while, and I'm jet-lagged, so doing my best here. We're all This week's broken. episode is a very special fan pick brought to you by Not Dust Rachel Spencer. Hello, Rachel. Hello. And Rachel selected the topic of nun crimes. Mm. Mm. None your business crimes. <laughs> yeah, our, friend, our friend Nick Bailey went on a little tirade on Twitter for the <laughs> teaser Tuesday with his guesses. <laughs> oh my god. Old nun sex doll crimes god was a damn guess. It, Nick. You're disgusting. <laughs> yeah, we got some weird really guesses. Mm. Yeah. Also, we love you and congratulations on your engagement. Oh yeah, congrats. Oh yeah, Mouth whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Could have had me in seventh grade, but you missed out. <laughs> 
<laughs> Could have had a bad bitch. Non-committal. <laughs> Non-committal. Um, all right, moving on. We also have a very special wine crime pairing this week. Mm-hmm. So, Amanda, what is our wine crime pairing? Oh, we have never featured this amazing wine before, and it is exciting to be hanging out with the folks from One Hope, which is a perfect fucking pairing for non-crimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm on my knees praying for that One Hope. Um, my whole life is banking on One Hope. <laughs> one Hope, and that's that any of the shit we've been told about the other world is real. Um Today, we're specifically drinking One Hope's Argentina Yuko Valley Malbec. Mm. Loves me a Malbec. And we haven't featured a Malbec in a while. Mm. So I was really excited to have this selection. A little bit about One Hope. They are a California-based wine company whose mission is to make the world a better place through memorable wines and experiences. Hello, Just like nuns. Literally just like nuns. And nuns also (laughs) give back to their community just like One Hope. Every bottle gives back to a meaningful cause with over $4 million donated to date. Holy shit. That's awesome. Yes. And it's really cool how they do it. So their little slogan is doing good tastes great, which absolutely is true. And they will have different wines, uh, like different varietals go to different causes. So today we are drinking, like I said, the Argentina Yuko Valley Malbec. This is a uh, a wine with complex aromas of dark cherry, hello, bright raspberry, delicious, mm. forest petals. Uh, Again, what? I freaking love wine terminology. That's just, <laughs> just like, like nuns. Just like nuns. The it's body nice, of Jesus. <laughs> exact body of Christ. Um, it's <laughs> a nicer way of saying earthy, essentially. Mm. Forest um, petals. I forest love it. Petals. It sounds like a terrible candle. Oh, I love yeah. it. Bath salt. Or a bath bomb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and ink. This is like an inky, thick daddy. Oh. Um, all of these combine to introduce a big mouthful of fine grain tannins. So, yes, there are tannins present, but they're not those like big, chunky daddies. Um, a nice, <laughs> thick, inky mouthfeel and a bright finish. This is a nice, big red wine. And we have, I feel like we haven't really gone hard on a big red wine in a while. Mm. So I'm real excited about this one. Um, This Malbec from Argentina has a touch of rusticity amongst the elegance and structure. God bless it. Mm. Hail Mary. Also, Argentina, isn't that where the current Pope is from? Ooh, let's just go with that. (laughs) Another great connection. There you go. Sure. So fun (laughs) fact, this bottle helps fund research to find a cure for Alzheimer's. Nice. Fucking get it. We yes. will come back to Alzheimer's. Keep this in mind. Everything connects. If you so, can. Uh, One Hope, along with the folks who have purchased One Hope wine, have funded 1,338 supplies for Alzheimer's research studies, which is so incredible. And I feel like Alzheimer's specifically, like we're so close And the more that we can support this research, I mean, it would change hundreds of thousands of lives. So Mm -hmm. we have a little special offer for you. Head to onehopewine.com. That's O-N-E-H-O-P-E-W-I-N-E.com and use promo code GALS10, that's G-A-L-S-1-0, for $10 off your first order. 
And that offer is valid from November 14th, 2019 until January 1st, 2020. So Ooh. it spans the holiday season, which yeah. is perfect. Yes. Um, and so One Hope Wines would be also a great gift for the holidays. Oh, yeah. I mean, also buying a gift that is a wine, <laughs> come on, and B, literally gives back to incredible mm-hmm. causes like high Alzheimer's research. That's a great way to spend your money during holiday shopping. So one more time, head to onehopewine.com and use promo code GALS10 for $10 off your first order. That's valid from November 14th until January 1st, 2020. Treat yo holiday season. Yeah. Treat it. Uh, Mm. This is a popper. So I am reaching for my nice pop wine key from our online store, wineandcrimepodcast.bigcartel.com. Another great place to get holiday shopping done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I am going to admit that in my frail state, I got this all the way to the tip. That's what she said like mm. 20 minutes ago while getting ready to record. Is it I quivering? Just, it's quivering. This thing, if I Ish. sneeze on this, it's going to pop out on its own. Mm-hmm. So are we ready it's for like a, a pop? a 14-year-old boy ready to oh, go. Oh, my. Ready to Gross. pop. <laughs> All right. The, I got to go. You started the dick jokes. I mean, we are going to be talking about the Catholic Church today. Okay. There <laughs> it <on>. is. <laughs> okay. All right. Ready? Here we go. Oh, oh holy pop. Holy wow. hail pop full of grace. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Hallowed Ugh. be thy name. Cheers, my love. Cheers. Cheers. Blood of Christ. Oh, I cannot right. wait to dive into what I can only imagine is going to be a rage-fueled shit show today. Mm. I know. We've already gotten emails from people being like, "Uh, you're particularly harsh on Christianity. Well. And it's like, yeah, but we're punching up. mm -hmm. You know, that's how I feel about it. But anyway, Lucy, you're Catholic. I hate all organized religion. (laughs) There, I said it. (laughs) Which is only. What's our background in psych for nun crimes? Formerly Catholic, I'd like to point out. Clearly mm-hmm. no longer practicing. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of fell down the nun hole on this one. And so my, <laughs> my notes are all over the Wait, place. Wait, so this is old nun sex doll crimes? <laughs> nun hole crimes. Nun hole, ew. <laughs> you said it, not me. That was all you. It was like rabbit hole. Nun hole. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. We'll get, oh, okay. we'll get to the nun holes. All right. We're, ch- oh, no. we're changing the title of this episode to Nun, to hole, nun crimes. hole Crimes. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me oh. want a donut hole, though. So, oh yeah. Let's 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 move this along. Okay. So, <laughs> while often associated with Catholicism, a nun can be a member of lots of different religions, including Buddhism, Jainism, Taoism, and some other Christian denominations like Eastern Orthodox and Lutheranism. Hello, there's I, my I didn't people. Know the- Lutherans had nuns. Yeah, they're a little more laid back as Lutherans tend to be. I I like Lutheranism. Lutheranism. Lutheran I was bapt. I was baptized Lutheran. Also, hard same. What Not. Christian light? Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Why were you baptized? My I aunt. Mean, my my cousin was born after me, and my aunt was like, "It." I guess it was a two for. I'm you not got sure. a two for one. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> she I had a punch card. Because if mm-hmm. heaven ends up being real, at least the three of us are fucking baptized. Uh, <laughs> Praise Jesus. Might make it worse. Oh, no. <laughs> you should have known better, is what yeah. God it would say. It wasn't my choice. I was baptized when I was like six months old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, I was both baptized and confirmed, so I really same. should know better. <laughs> you really Hard should same. know. You took classes. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, retrospect is a hell of a thing. Okay, so a nun is a member of a religious community of women, typically living under certain restrictive vows like chastity, no thank you, poverty, <laughs> and obedience. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank Abstinence, you. Abstinence, no, thank you. <laughs> Hard no to all three of those. I mean, I've I've dealt with poverty, but I don't want to keep dealing with it. I've also dealt with chastity unwillingly. Not fun. (laughs) Not a fun time in my life. I think uh, at the time that I was dealing with chastity, I had poverty too. Mm. Oh. (laughs) Two out of three. Definitely never never, had obedience. Never fucked with obedience. Yeah. I rather Never enjoy being obedient. It's my kink. Oh. Just kidding. Okay. Oh, okay. So nuns also typically live within a monastery or a cloister. Buddhist nuns are called bikuni. Bikini. Bikini. And they are actually required to take more vows than their male counterparts. I thought that was Classic. interesting. Classic. I know, right? Wow. Well, a lot of organized religions are extraordinarily patriarchal, and I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll fucking get to it. If by yeah. a lot you mean almost all, all of, of them, them, yeah. <laughs> almost all. Yeah. So Rare some, exceptions. Something that I like about nuns is that, at least in Christianity, they often refer to themselves as women religious, implying that they are religious first and foremost, and women second. Like, being a woman is secondary to their identity as compared to being religious, hmm. which I think is kind of cool, you know? Okay. No? I mean. Sure. I can't, like, identify with that, but no, I like it. I like that their not, gender identity is not as important as their religious faith faith. identity. Yeah. yeah. I, I just think, think that's kind of cool. That. I just think it's interesting when people can have such strong convictions about their um, I. Their personal identities, obviously, as long as you're not, like, a white supremacist or something like that. (laughs) If it's, like, good and productive to society, I think that's—I don't know. I think it's interesting. Um, I mean, it certainly says a lot to be able to put your identity second to what you've devoted your life to. Because that's not an easy thing to do. Right. Well, that becomes their identity. Right. I mean, I think it— It makes, like, it's very far from my reality, but it makes sense to me that somebody's faith, if you really believe in God and and that faith and that religious structure and system, and you are a a full believer, yeah, yeah, then that is your number one overarching thing, and gender Mm -hmm. or age or your name even, which a lot of people renounce, and your biological family and everything else is secondary and tertiary. Like, that mm-hmm. is just the reality of it. hmm Yeah. I just think it's it's obviously not admirable in every situation, but I just, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. 
It's I'll never be committed to anything enough for any of that. So congratulations. Cheese. <laughs> Probably cheese. Oh, yeah, cheese. cheese. Yeah. No, mm. that's fair. The Church of Cheese. Mozzarella I'm a cheese sticks. nun. I'm a cheese nun. <laughs> sister Havarti. <laughs> I, I have I have sister Mary Bree. <laughs> Lady Grier. I'm, I'm more of a sister Gouda. Sister Gouda. <laughs> I like sister Swiss. <laughs> oh my god, Pepper Jack. Okay. <laughs> Uh, They are sometimes called religious sisters, too. That said, historically, there is a difference between nuns and sisters. So nuns are a little more strict, living a life of contemplation and prayer in a convent or other, like, closed-off situation, while sisters may take more simple vows and lead more socially active lives of advocacy, charity, and uh, organizing high school choirs in order to raise money to save their run-down high schools in an 11th-hour performance to the Pope. I yep. was fucking yep. waiting for when yep. Sister Act, and you only have, <laughs> uh, it got two paragraphs in. I'm so proud of you. I'm there so proud are going to be so many references Sister in Mary mine. Clarence. Also, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Sister Act was my movie that I watched when I was homesick from school mm-hmm. my entire childhood. So mm-hmm. I have seen it upwards of, I don't know, 300 times. Probably. Oh, yeah. Why were you sick that and much? Over my entire school career. Yeah, it's a lot. That still seems high, but yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> we'll take it. I'm, she I'm was a Ill. sickly girl. Yeah, I think exactly. you would have not been able to graduate if over the course of your entire academic career you missed 300 days of school. <laughs> <laughs> that is a but full I, year, of more than a full, that's like two yeah. years of school, isn't it? Yeah. All right, whatever, math, I don't care. <laughs> I watched it a whole bunch <laughs> and uh, saw it in theaters for the first time when I was like four or five, whenever it came out, mm-hmm. and uh, was really good friends with my neighbor boy at the time, and my mom took the two of us to see the movie, and every song we got up out of our seats and danced in the aisles at the movie theater. Oh Aww. my lord, that is adorable. That's precious. All right. Um, You're talking yeah. about James, right? Yeah. Ha! That is such a cute image. Oh, my God. I know. So I'm clutching cute. my rosary. <laughs> oh, damn it. My rosary's across the room. I was going to bring it so I could shake it like my goat bones. Okay. You're fine. Also, m- my college friend Ellen, well, current friend, who we met, I met in college, we sing Oh, Happy Day like a lot. Yes. We have like Every a full day. dance to oh, it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's genuinely one of my favorite songs. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. This is like one of Scott's favorite movies of all time. Uh He knows every word. It's like his Drop Dead Gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking of Scott, I was curious about this seemingly strict division between male and female when it comes to nuns and monks and whatever religious, you know, binary sects there are. Sure. Mm -hmm. Especially within an inherent religious inherently religious context. And there isn't mm-hmm. a lot of information out there, but I found some fun trans nun tidbits for you. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
So, Sister Mary Elizabeth Clark was born in 1938 in Pontiac, Michigan. She was assigned a male sex and given the name Michael at birth. She had a really fucking impressive military career both before and after her transition in the mid-70s when she took the name Joanna Michelle Clark. Shyamalan Twist, the army found out about her identity and voided her enlistment. Is anyone surprised? No. Yeah, seriously. Mm -hmm. She sued the army and won a settlement of $25,000. Not nearly enough, but you go, girl. Wow. Around around this time, Joanna was working as an activist for trans rights in California and was instrumental in winning the right for trans folks to have their gender changed on birth certificates and driver's licenses, which... Nice. It's a big fucking deal. So yeah, that's incredible. Mass- I think Massachusetts just like this week passed a new law that um, trans folks can more easily put their uh, preferred name on their driver's licenses and other IDs. That's awesome. Without having to like legally change their name, I guess. Oh, nice. Or legally change their proper gender identity like to their proper gender identity yeah, yeah i guess license. there's a way to like put your preferred name that's awesome i mean anything mm-hmm. that allows for those changes to be made more simply is great but it would be great if there also would be a simpler way to just fucking go by your proper pronouns and identity mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. without it being, like, fucking expensive and a billion miles of red tape and then, like, a 100,000 airport horrific, Mm -hmm. triggering, misgendering issues. Mm -hmm. It's just, there's a long way to go, but I like that it's moving in a direction. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Dr. Phil. Mm -hmm. Um, So Joanna went on to help build the AIDS Education and Global Information System, or AEGIS, database. If you've heard of that, Mm -hmm. which I believe began as a literal bulletin board in California and soon went digital to educate people about AIDS in the mid 80s. When, of course, access to this kind of information was absolutely crucial to a lot of people. Zero as well. It just like was nothing. She was doing some really fucking incredible, important work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Later, Joanna took her vows to become an episcopal. I always have a problem with that word. Episcopal. Episcopal. Episcopal sister in 1988 (laughs) and later became a sister of the American Catholic Church, which is not the Catholic Church. It sounds like it's just a little more laid back, but with the same like basic tenets, but it's not the Catholic Church, which we can figure out why (laughs) she didn't go for the Catholic Church. Or likely wouldn't have been. She was open you know, about accepted. her identity at this point. So right. the American Catholic Church accepted her with open arms. And um, I believe she was the first openly trans nun, mm-hmm. period. Wow. Mm-hmm. So Fucking when badass. she took her vows, she went from Joanna to Sister Mary Elizabeth. Yeah. So Sister Mary Elizabeth is her um, nun name. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so she's a fucking badass. I love it. Also, there's a group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Hi, like sign it. me up. Self-described yep. as, quote, a leading-edge order of queer and trans nuns. We believe all people have a right to express their unique joy and beauty. And here's a little more from their website to sort of explain what they're all about. 
Quote, since our first appearance in San Francisco on Easter Sunday, 1979, the sisters have devoted ourselves to community service, ministry, and outreach to those on the edges and to promoting human rights, respect for diversity, and spiritual enlightenment. We use humor and irreverent wit to expose the forces of bigotry, complacency, and guilt that chain the human spirit. Oh. What a badass squad. Yeah. I love that so fucking much. Yeah, the mm-hmm. photos on their website are so fun. They dress up in like these just beautiful, colorful outfits with these wigs and these dresses and the eye makeup and all this stuff. And they're just, they just look really fucking fun. I love it. Nice. It seems like the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence aren't necessarily religiously motivated, but they act as educators, advocates, volunteers, public servants, and more, which is essentially what religion is all about. So in my book, they're, uh, they're, they're real nuns. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, last but not least, there's a woman named Tia Passando who is currently on her way to becoming the first transgender nun in the Roman Catholic Church in London, Ontario. She, wow. She wrote a book called Why God Doesn't Hate You, which draws evidence from the Bible to show people that God and Catholicism is really about love and acceptance and not about, you know, yeah, big bigoted underpinnings. Fire and brimstone. Right. Yeah. Against the gays. So in a lot of articles I read about Tia, which were largely from religious outlets, there was talk about—this is so gross—there was talk about how she identifies herself as intersex, which is her choice, whatever, Mm -hmm. and whether or not that means she's non-binary. And because these monastic communities are built for either men or women, and you have to to fit into one of these categories— So there were actually a lot of really ugly articles in this Google search. And as far as I can tell, Tia was accepted into the Carmelite Sisters Novitiate, 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 I can't read Mm -hmm. today, in Canada. These are all really hard words, so you're doing an amazing (laughs) job and I'm proud of you. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, In Canada in 2014. So while Sister Mary Elizabeth was, I believe, the first openly trans nun, period. Um, Tia Passando is, I I think, the first um, openly trans nun in the Catholic Church. Not the American Catholic Church, right, like the, the Roman straight Catholic up Church. Roman the Catholic Church. Roman Catholic right. Church. Right. The church. The big one. The yeah. big one. Which is still a fucking big move. Oh, Yeah. yeah. I'm surprised that there have been any right. at this point. Like it's well, still at least just openly. such a right. right. I mean, and I'm recognized sh- by the church. There, I'm positive there have been trans nuns throughout history, just because it's a thing that you know people haven't always been open about it. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So moving right along, I fucking love the sound of music. So I will now yes. talk about that for a while. Great. <laughs> yes, you will. Um, So as a movie trope and also as evident in the Sister Act franchise, nuns are frequently represented as both rigid and rascally. Mm. So at the beginning of uh, The Sound of Music, at least uh, the film, when the nuns are considering how to solve a problem like Maria, they come across as 
really pious and uptight. For example, the mother abbess seems peeved that Maria was singing in the garden without permission. Bitch, please. Mm -hmm. Obedience. (laughs) True. Mm -hmm. But by the end of the movie, they're sneaking the Von Trapps out of Austria and dismantling the Nazi cars, like fully Mm. breaking the law, risking their lives to help this family escape. Yeah, so civil disobedience is okay if it's in the right, Mm -hmm. if it's for the right cause, which is dope. Uh Uh-huh. So beyond that, it seems like nuns, more so than monks, play out this kind of duality in film and literature. And I think that there are a couple of reasons why this might be. And I know this is a lot of editorializing. This is just my English major coming out because, again, the nun hole. I had a lot of time to think about this. (laughs) (laughs) You've been fingering this nun hole for weeks. We've been fingering this nun hole. Um, okay. First and foremost, fucking patriarchy always. If nuns aren't overtly sexualized, one could argue that they still are not represented as a straightforward woman religious context in the same way that monks and priests and monastic men are. Sure. There's Mm -hmm. always an element of repression, repressed sexuality, like, Mm -hmm. even the horror dichotomy. Yeah, even you're either pious and chaste or you're a rascal and you're not going to stay a nun and you're going to marry Mr. Von Trapp. Mm hmm. Ugh, yuck. Um, Even the fact that I was sort of like drawn to the idea of the woman religious in the first place is like almost a little bit internalized misogyny on my part because it's like, wow, I can't believe you don't identify as a woman first and foremost. Because men aren't mm-hmm. necessarily expected to, like, that wouldn't really shock me if it were a man. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that said, I don't think it's a bad thing that nuns are shown as multidimensional and a little more, let's say, morally flexible. Mm-hmm. For Austrian Catholic, For Austrian Catholic nuns in the 30s to defy the Nazi regime, if we're thinking about this literally, is unexpected and at the same time nuns being naughty because it's unexpected is kind of nothing more than an easy punchline so yeah i yeah we can't really dig into the like facts of the catholic church during world war ii because it's a complicated case of both collaboration and resistance but in the in the sound of music, mm-hmm. there are you know yeah. some heroes. Well, for sure. and in just movie tropes overall, those right. sort of unexpected nuns being naughty is kind of like a it's just low hanging fruit, really. Yeah. Well, yeah, naughty nuns is a Halloween costume. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's a photo on the drive, which will be on the blog of. Um, a bunch of nuns sitting on bar stools, and the legs of the bar stools are like sexy pantyhose lady legs. So it looks like <laughs> it looks like they're just. Oh, I just found my not just Halloween costume, but my everyday costume for the rest of my life. <laughs> a naughty nun, <laughs> and it's the naughty nun, low hanging fruit. But of course, this is apparently only when nuns are represented as more than a brief foil character. And here's a quote from one of my favorite websites, TVTropes.org. Quote, they will either be terrifying specters of discipline able to strike fear into even the toughest men wielding yardsticks like samurai wield katanas or sweet and nurturing with overtones of forbidden sexuality. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that summed it up. At the end of the day, nuns in real life are people. So, of course, they are multidimensional. And especially in modern times, when they aren't necessarily expected to live life isolated in silence, etc., they can and should be represented as dynamic, engaging servants to society. Mm-hmm. So that's nuns in real life versus the tropes. tropes. So here's a few more right. fun nun facts. <laughs> fun nun facts. <laughs> fun nun facts. A nun in training might wear a headpiece called a wimple. Yes. Oh. Wimple, wimple. Wimple, wimple. <laughs> so a wimple is just those like pieces of fabric that like go around and over the head. Mm-hmm. Unsu- it's not like a full ass habit. Mm-hmm. No, it's like the more casual, more mm-hmm. casual, casual but Tuesday. still like straight up Renaissance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unsurprisingly, nuns are not allowed to marry, but it's a common misconception that they are literally married to Jesus. And this is according to uscatholic.org. So keep in mind this is this is a ca- this is from a Catholic nuns perspective. Mm-hmm. Quote, it was the theology of the time, and I suppose for some, it made the lifetime commitment more comprehensible. That makes perfect sense. But theology changes. If it doesn't, it's dead. It never ceases to amaze me, though, how that particular cultural image persists. In 23 years of teaching high school, countless students, including non-Christians and the unchurched. Oh, my God. Mm. <laughs> me. Yeah. yeah, and Amanda Jacobson told me that I mm-hmm. was married to Jesus. I am not. I am perpetually committed to the Benedictine Sisters of Chicago, God, and the Church as people of God. While I recognize that some congregations still use this theology, others don't. It's a metaphor that works for some people, but it's not something that is literal or universally embraced. Okay, I like that. That makes sense. I always thought that was kind of weird because then— Jesus is a polygamist. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Catholicism is fucking wild. There's like no easy answer and everything is like hierarchical. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's very confusing. Um, In warmer climates, some nuns are nude under their habits. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. So slight... Uh, anecdote and no there's no none nudity but so my mom and all of her siblings we we all go vacation on the Jersey Shore every year and my mom's family has been doing that since like her grandparents got like a house on the island that my family no longer has yada 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 on that island is like this super old monastery and now it is just a retirement home for the nuns. It's not an, a, an active monastery anymore, but it was when my sister and her siblings were kids. And they used to like sneak over to the monastery and hide behind the sand dunes to watch the nuns go swimming in their like nun bathing costumes mm-hmm. <laughs> because they just looked incredible. And like up until I, I feel like it was in the last decade that the monastery became a retirement home for the nuns but certainly when it was still an active monastery when i was a kid you'd see the nuns in on like golf carts traveling the island like they were just living their fucking best lives yeah they live their best lives (laughs) and i did read in somewhere that they um they often have specific bathing suits because again they have to practice modesty all the time and they also usually need special permission to even go like to the beach like that. Right. And this monastery is literally on 
the ocean. Yeah. Like so they probably had side a, of it a free is pass. The ocean. I'm certain they had permission. Mm-hmm. But yeah, th- that was not a public part of the beach. Like other people couldn't just go to that part of the beach. My it God. was only for them. I love that. Good. Mm-hmm. So cool. But there's nothing more amazing than seeing six nuns on like an extra long golf cart <laughs> cruising through Stone Harbor, New Jersey. <laughs> it's an experience that I encourage everyone to have. Did they have the black and white, like the full habits with the head? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Blowing in the breeze. Like a, sis- on a like day. Sister Act outfits. It was, it literally looked like a scene from Sister Act. Oh it's incredible. <laughs> I love this. I love seeing nuns at the airport. Yeah. I always want to like say hi. I don't because like they're just living their lives and I shouldn't other them like I'm doing right now. But one does take a second glance. Oh, yeah. I love kind of like seeing the Amish, like getting on a train. Mm hmm. I also Mm -hmm. love nuns and I have several like creepy photos of nuns that I've gotten at like oddity shops just speckled through my apartment. I gave you one like four days ago. The one you gave me is, uh, shit, what's her name? It's Audrey Hepburn it's Audrey in a Hepburn habit just holding, holding a, a tiny little monkey. rhesus monkey. Yeah, I have a photo of it. it I'll makes put these on the drive. No, I'm sure it's from a film at some point, but like it's Literally just so fucking odd. None, none nonsense. It's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. <laughs> um, so speaking of nuns in retirement homes, the church does not necessarily financially support nuns, which means that nuns who do not live in cloister might have to work a regular job like in Hooters. Uh-oh. What? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would die if there were just nuns working at Hooters. She's like, I'd go like to the Hooters. Best fit. Just a hostess. <laughs> um, but yeah, she so to wear see, the uniform. Is the naughty nun is a very easy punchline. Mm. Um, and nuns who take a vow of poverty aren't allowed to make any money. Um, and any money that they do make or come across, they have to donate to the church. And that is uh, to serve as a reminder that God will always provide. I prefer to make my own money, but I'm also doesn't, not a nun. Doesn't it also say in the Bible that like God helps those who help themselves? Isn't that a thing? I don't fucking know. Everybody follows it differently. Who the fuck knows? Yeah, there's right. like seven thousand different versions of the Bible. I upload the uh, I uploaded the Audrey Hepburn monkey and my other creepy nun photo that I have to the drive. Excellent. Okay, so this is my last little se- segment, and this is what ties back to Alzheimer's. So keep that one hope wine in the back of your mind. Specifically, the Malbec, which supports Alzheimer's research. Yeah, that was Ghostface talking just now. Hello. Hi, Ghost. Oh, okay. Um, so there's an ongoing study called the Nun Study, subtle, <laughs> of <laughs> 678 American nuns from seven different convents to study Alzheimer's disease. And basically, researchers look at the nuns' lives from the time they entered the convent in their 20s until their deaths. And then upon their death, they remove their the nuns' brains and study Whoa. those as well. Whoa. Mm. Yeah, that was kind of surprising to me. But why why these nuns? I don't Well, know. I'll get to it. So okay. here's an excerpt from a two this is from 2001. I did, uh, just being honest, Odyssey. I didn't look for any more recent information, but this pretty much summed it up. Um, 2001 New York Times article, quote, their research has shown that folic acid may stave off Alzheimer's disease. 
that Mm. small, barely perceptible strokes may trigger some dementia, and in an especially striking finding, that early language ability may be linked to a lower risk of Alzheimer's because nuns who packed more ideas into the sentences of their early autobiographies... Because basically when when you become a nun, you have like a train like a training period. It's like it's not hazing, but like they gotta make sure that you are fucking committed. Right. Right. So you go through gotta prove yourself. You go through a very long process of interviews, of self-reflection. Um, in, in, apparently in this case, you you kind of write an autobiography. So the scientists found that um, nuns who packed more ideas into the sentences of their early autobiographies were less likely to get Alzheimer's disease six decades later. Weird. Uh, the new okay, report. Okay, so if they had like good writing skills in their 20s and like verbal ability. Basically. Yeah, and just like more dev- more advanced communication skills, I think. And mm-hmm. just a reminder of correlation, not causation. This is not like a definitive cause of staving off Alzheimer's. No, of course not. But they are definitely linked. But it is a very expansive study. And I'll get to something else that was really cool about this. Um, So the report published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology says nuns who expressed more positive emotions in their autobiographies lived significantly longer, in some cases 10 years longer, than those expressing fewer positive emotions. Well, I'm fucked. And finally, the (laughs) the nuns are ideal for scientific study because they're stable, relatively similar lives preclude certain factors from contributing to illness. They do not smoke, they hardly Mm. drink, and they do not experience uh, physical changes related to pregnancy. The school sisters are white and eat in convent cafeterias, and most were teachers in Catholic schools. So, like, so it's like a perfect, automatically, completely controlled environment. It's a very, very controlled group, Mm -hmm. which Mm. I thought was really fucking cool. That is actually that that makes a very good point. That Mm -hmm. that would make them just that in and of itself would make them ideal for a longitudinal study like that. Yeah, yeah. Because how else? What other you know human being is in such a similar environment for the majority of their entire life? Yeah, for decades doing basically the same the same thing every day. Yeah, yeah. Prisoners. Yeah, I mean, but even that would have more. Outlying variables, yeah, yeah, violence. Mm -hmm. Obviously, smoking, drugs are still a thing in prison. Alcohol, like that, Mm -hmm. that's not nearly as controlled as this, right? Mm -hmm. It would probably just be like the next closest thing that I can think of, though. Wow, I never thought of that. That's so wild. Yeah, smart. So I find some nun psychology. Aren't you impressed? Fucking nuns giving back even after death, like, Mm -hmm. with their bodies to fucking scientific research. I am here for it. Yeah. So, in conclusion, I fucking love nuns, but I also did not attend Catholic school, which could be a reason (laughs) why I fucking love nuns. Yeah, if my dad were alive, he might have a different uh, take on nuns because he was definitely taught by the nuns. (laughs) My mom went to Catholic elementary school. Mm -hmm. She, she, it was a mixed bag. A mixed bag. A mixed bag. A mixed bag. <laughs> All yeah. right. Well done. Well Thank done. Thank you. All right. Should we hear a word from our sponsors? The Catholic Church. Let's do it. Unopened emails, crowded commutes, 
worries, pressures about writing your notes for an upcoming podcast episode. Mm -hmm. What? Mm -hmm. (laughs) All of these things just flood your mind at night. I know I woke up at 6.30 this morning thinking if I should paint my guest room chartreuse or not. Hmm. (laughs) Long story short, we all experience anxiety. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And Talkspace Online Therapy makes it easier than ever for you to take care of yourself and to manage things like that anxiety that we all Mm -hmm. face. You simply communicate your preferences for therapy from the privacy of your device. It's amazing. And Talkspace will match you with one of their 5,000 plus therapists. And once you are matched, you can begin messaging your therapist the very same day, which for a lot of people who experience issues with their mental health can be Mm -hmm. absolutely life-changing. I know that it was for me. I I reached out to a therapist through Talkspace when I was in a time of crisis, but now I have continued to use Talkspace even when I'm not in crisis, and it has been so amazing for my mental health. It's incredibly affordable. I have health insurance, but I still prefer Talkspace because it saves me money. And Talkspace gives you a month of any time access for the price of one in-person therapy session. So I will literally, there will be weeks where I need to talk to my therapist almost every single day. I couldn't Mm -hmm. do that with in-person therapy at the same price that I'm paying for Talkspace. It's just not possible. With traditional therapy, it can take weeks to find a therapist and get an appointment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Talkspace, uh, it's you're, as soon as you're matched, you begin messaging your therapist. It's so yeah. quick. And the therapists are amazing. They all have a different like expertise skill set. So the specialties they offer include depression, high anxiety, high, even substance abuse, trauma, relationships, high. That's when I started Talkspace. Um, food and eating, all kinds of uh, things that we all face on a daily basis. And it's clinically proven to help. And I am one of those people that it has helped. In one academic study, Talkspace users reported a 50%, drop in anxiety after three months. And 80% of participants in another study said Talkspace was as effective or more effective than in-person therapy. I am one of the people who thinks it's more effective because it's right at my fingertips. Like I just open the app. I know that it's private. I know that it's secure. Everything takes place within the app. It's completely confidential. And I can just talk about anything that's popping up in the moment. And my therapist, Emily, within her office hours, which are extraordinarily reasonable and accessible. And she specifically sometimes will go outside of her office hours to communicate with me, which I really appreciate. Um, She'll respond thoughtfully and it's all written there. I know Kenyon has talked about this before. I love being able to go back through my like previous conversations with her to just remind myself of maybe some of the homework that she assigned me, or maybe I, you know, come across a similar anxiety trigger that I talked to her about before. And I could just go back through and be like, okay, these are the talking points that Emily and I went over. Here are some of the ways that I can manage through this. It's just so amazing and simple and accessible. And I love it. Mm -hmm. We all need help navigating life's ups and downs, and Talkspace offers the support you need at an affordable price. So our listeners can get $100 off their first month by using promo code GALS, G-A-L-S, at Talkspace.com. Match with a therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy at Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure to use that promo code GALS to get $100 off your first month. That is Talkspace.com, promo code GALS, treat yo brain. Treat it. Getting quote unquote in shape 
can look different for everyone. For some folks, it is about losing weight. For some folks, it is about gaining weight in the form mm-hmm. of muscle and toning up. Um, but in general, getting in shape is really more about learning healthier habits and feeling better about yourself. So that could be more stamina to keep up with your busy life. Finally, getting into your favorite pair of jeans that you want to mm-hmm. wear or being more in tune with your body's needs and just practicing more self-care and just feeling good in your own skin, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah, mm-hmm. the self-care part is very real. Noom has been working for me as part of my self-care routine. I just, I don't like feeling bloated. I don't like eating really late at night and you don't feel very good the next morning. All of these things that are that have just been part of my cycle of bad habits for a really long time. They've been cracked open with Noom. It's Mm -hmm. really, really nice. Noom is a habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop new relationships with food through personalized courses. So they have a red, yellow, green system, which means that Mm -hmm. no food is good or bad or off limits. It just says like, oh, maybe you eat less of the red stuff, more of the green stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. now. Um, Noom teaches moderation and can be used in conjunction with many pre-existing popular diets. If you want to, we're all human. We all fall off track. We get a, you get a goal specialist with Noom who can just kind of help you stay motivated just make you feel better and everyone falls off course every now and then and then you know you get back on track you wake up the next morning you feel good you get into those good pants and you can go out have fun with your friends and know that yeah you can have a couple you know pieces of cake or whatever maybe mm-hmm. not a couple pieces of glasses cake, but of red wine glasses yes. thank god i yeah yeah the wine yes but you balance it out with other things and then you you just kind of Stick with the system, stay on course. It's great. I love Noom. Yeah, it's awesome. It literally helps you like adjust your habits so that when you do go out with your friends and everybody is <laughs> partaking, you don't feel like you're the outcast and you like mm-hmm. know how to manage those social situations, which was really helpful for me, or how to like figure out how to resist ordering that pizza at eleven thirty at night, which I still sometimes do but there's like no shame in their game they're not gonna like come after me for that like there's yeah. no good it's or bad like Lucy lifestyle. said it's, it's yeah, a it's lifestyle a not a yeah. diet it's not about yes. being super strict with yourself but it also helps you stay accountable and stay on track Mm-hmm. Yeah, it literally is a life-changing, habit-changing system. And they know that you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. So sign up for your trial today at Noom, that's N-O-O-M dot com forward slash gals, because what do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com forward slash gals to start your trial today. One more time, that's Noom.com forward slash gals, the last weight loss program you'll ever need. Are we ready for my case? Never. Got my rosaries. I'm ready to go. (laughs) It's real dark. Oh, Oh, great. Don't worry. Mine is too. Yeah. Um, I feel like I hadn't done a really dark case in a while, but maybe I'm just misremembering. I don't know. (laughs) But here we go. You're (laughs) misremembering. All right. Margaret Ann Paul was born on April 6th, 1909 in Edgerton, Ohio, which is a tiny farming community about 80 miles from Toledo, which like I couldn't tell you where Toledo is on the map, but this is 80 miles from wherever Toledo is. Where is it from Peniston? Yeah. It's west. 
it's far this west. This woman was born only eight years before my still living grandmother. Jesus Christ. Yeah, my grandma was born in 1917. She's unreal. <laughs> we need to get your grandmother on some merch. Just like Sister a Mary full Helen. color photo of your grandmother on a t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, I love my grandmother, but that would be a terrifying visage to put on a t-shirt. I want it. I want it. But maybe some old school photos of her. No. No. Oh, but we'll God. just make two. Okay. Well, I'm going to be there for Thanksgiving, so I'll see what I can snap for you. Portrait yeah, mode her pics. in her best jewels. Oof. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm on it. Okay. So, uh, Margaret, back to Margaret. Her parents, Frank and Catherine, were devout Catholics, and Margaret was the fourth of nine children. Definitely Yikes. Catholic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, they have control booth. <laughs> <laughs> and every single time they were blessed with a child. Um, oh, kill me. When she was only a teenager, Margaret announced to the family that she planned to become a nun. But given the family's Catholic faith and the fact that she had aunts and cousins who were already nuns, her parents were probably on board. Yeah. Um, unlike my own mother, who, again, went to Catholic school, but when I was growing up told me that... I could dye my hair anything I wanted. I could do whatever I wanted. Well, that's not uh, true. <laughs> but don't become a nun. That was like her <laughs> one thing was like, do not become a nun. I was like, I don't think you're really at risk. But she was like, I want grandkids. Oh, God. Don't okay. become a nun. Oh, no. Yeah. So that was my whole childhood. Um, So when Margaret was just 19, she moved out of her family's home and into a convent called Our Lady of the Pines. Oh, I like that. That's lovely. Also smells like a bath bomb. Mm. Mm. Decades later, her younger sister remembered her parents crying when Margaret left the house, uh, but said that Margaret herself had no second thoughts about her decision to to join (laughs) the faith. Bye, bitch. Yeah, she she ready knew, to she, go. She knew her own mind. Yeah, she was like, "I'm not having nine kids. I'm out of here." Um, quote. This is a quote from Margaret's younger sister. She'd been called to be a nun. She just knew. It's like cool. All right, you do you. Yeah, not a nun, but you do not you. Not a nun, but you do you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Margaret took few belongings with her to her new life in the convent, and she neatly labeled everything else in her bedroom with the name of the sibling she wished to leave that earthly possession to. Oh, that's adorable. I wouldn't have left my sister jack shit. (laughs) You couldn't (laughs) bring any bathing suit bottoms. Yep. Gross. She devoted over 50 years of her life to the church, during which she also became a registered nurse um, and then the director of the Sisters of Mercy School of Nursing and eventually an administrator at the Mercy Hospital in Toledo. Hell yes. Famed Toledo. Tropical Toledo. Mm Mm-hmm. The island of Toledo. (laughs) So in 1980, when Margaret was 71 years old, almost 72, she felt herself beginning to slow down, just beginning to, I'm beginning to slow down and I'm (laughs) 32. Yeah. Um, And she was starting uh, to have trouble hearing. So she essentially retired from her 
administrator position at the hospital, mm-hmm. but she still was like up and at him every day. She still yeah. um, maintained the hospital chapel and lived on site. Uh, she lived there with about 20 other nuns and there was like an upstairs convent to that mercy hospital, Got which it. I think is fairly common. Um, so those who knew her described her, even as she was nearing retirement, as extremely hardworking, unwaveringly devout, and quote, old school. I thought you were just going to say old. Does that mean she was mean? <laughs> old. And quote, old. I'm, I'm picturing more of like a Maggie Smith as Mother Superior in the first half of Sister Act bef- mm. before like the fun character arc. Yeah. Mm. Like she's a good person and she does good works, but she also doesn't suffer fools. Right. And she like likes things done a certain way. Or else she's pulling out the ruler. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody said she was mean, just that she was old school. Quote, old school and quote, very, very strict. Things had to be done a certain way. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. according to somebody that worked with her in the convent. Right. The ruler. Right. Well, okay. Measure those hems, ladies. <laughs> um, she was meticulous about the chapel always being in perfect, pristine condition, and her standards were high. When a priest chose to shorten the Good Friday service, like sermon, uh, just the day before this case would occur, Sister Margaret became distraught Crying and lamenting, quote, why did they cheat God out of what was his? Oh, I just got chills. I do not want to cross Sister Sister Margaret. Margaret. Yeah, (laughs) she she was like, this is the Good Friday service and it shall be done thus. Mm -hmm. Basically. Yeah. Um, She cared about quality. So... Uh, on April 5th, 1980, so the, the next day, the morning after this disastrous Good Friday service, <laughs> um, and the day before her 72nd birthday, which would have fallen on Easter Sunday that <gasps> year, which would have been very cool. How special. Sister Margaret awoke uh, to her regular 5 a.m. alarm. God help Whoa. us. Good Lord. Can't even imagine. Um, She went downstairs to the dining hall for a quick breakfast of coffee, grapefruit, and cereal, which actually sounds lovely. That's like literally what my dad ate like every morning. (laughs) Sounds That'll get your bowels moving. He had a Sister Margaret breakfast plan. (laughs) (laughs) The blue, blue hair special. Yeah. Uh, She then told a cafeteria worker that she was headed to the chapel to clean and prepare the space for the weekend's important Easter services. So this was like the deep clean. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was around 6.45 a.m. At 8 a.m., a young nun was walking towards the chapel. Um, Let's call her Sister Mary Robert. Uh, From, do you guys remember who Sister Mary Robert is? No. From Sister Act. The shy no. young oh. one that can sing. The, oh. With the shorn red hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that was that joke. 
the young nun, Sister Mary Robert. Got it. Nailed Thank you for explaining it. your Killed joke. It. <laughs> yep. Nailed it. Uh, was walking towards the chapel because she was planning to make a phone call, probably to her witness protection case officer. Um, <laughs> In the sacristy, which is the small room to the side of the altar. So the young nun noticed a folded piece of cloth on the floor of the hallway outside the chapel. Mm. And she picked it up and placed it on a pew to like deal with later, but not just not leave it on the ground. Well, she doesn't want fucking Sister Margaret to see that shit. So she's like, I don't want to forget this. I'm going to get rid of this. Mm -hmm. She then opened the door to the sacristy and let out a blood-curdling scream. Uh-oh. Sister Margaret was lying dead on the room's marble floor. She was partially undressed. Oh, oh. no. No, no, no. The scene was horrific. So this poor elderly woman had been stabbed over 30 times in the Jesus. neck and torso. Oh, my word. This is one time we can't immediately claim that the husband did it. <laughs> right? Right? True. Jesus What did do we it. do? Puts a wrench in this we case. We have no leads. None. Oh, we... None. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. We have a lead. We'll get to it. Okay. Uh, the sacristy had two doors, so one of them was locked, but the door that Sister Mary Robert not her actual name, had entered, still had the key still inside the inside lock. Okay. So it's a fucking inside job, basically. The key was considered a key clue in the murder (laughs) investigation. Oh, my God. Okay, you're done. You're full of them. Get out. (laughs) It would unlock the answers to this case. It's just a bad habit. (laughs) (laughs) Amanda, don't be so holier than thou with our puns. Okay. (laughs) Okay. We're just going to wample on. Wample, wample. (laughs) Quit your wimpling. Oh my God. Okay. She's gone. She's so, done. She hung up. She's gone. I'm, I'm, she's, I she's literally gone. left the room. <laughs> gonna go make okay. myself a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the key is a clue, along with the folded cloth from the hallway, which turned out to be an altar cloth that had blood stains on it that oh, shit. The yo- young nun didn't notice initially. Young nun. Sister Mary Young Nun. <laughs> Sister Mary Robert Young Nun. A coroner's investigation concluded that Sister Margaret had likely not actually died from the stab wounds, but that she'd actually been strangled first. Ooh. And the stab wounds were inflicted post-mortem. I mean, that's a blessing. That's a fucking blessing. That is it. Yeah. So that provided like a small measure of comfort for her family and fellow nuns um, who hoped that, you know, she was... She didn't really suffer, was the hope. Um, Mm -hmm. But interestingly, the stab wounds were inflicted through the altar cloth. Oh, that is an odd little detail. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Clearly this was a highly personal thing, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
The coroner also noted that several of the stab wounds on Margaret's chest appeared to have been deliberately made in the shape of upside-down crosses. No. No. Yeah. This is such a creep show. Mm-hmm. Additionally, there was a smear of blood across her forehead, which seemed to be a reference to the last rites of the Roman Catholic Church, during which the forehead of a dying person is anointed with oil. Yuck. So it was like highly ceremonial mm-hmm. and like That's staged, including the, the undressing, which is right. like so like ultra taboo. You know, to this be, sounds- like, partially undressed in a church and an elderly woman and a nun. Are you mm-hmm. sure you weren't just reading the Da Vinci Code? I right? know. I know. This is Where fucking is wild. the albino monk? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where is Tom Hanks with Nick Cage hair? Where are the eunuchs? <laughs> okay. Well, we're kind of getting to it a little bit. Oh, my God. Two are there days. eunuchs? No. <laughs> no. Lucy's God face damn just lights up. <laughs> love a good Two eunuch. Days, love a good <laughs> eunuch. A winter tunic and a eunuch. Mm. <laughs> All right. Two days after Easter. So this murder happened the day before Easter. And then two days after Easter, uh, as investigators puzzled over their few clues and the significance of the overt religious imagery at the crime scene, more than 200 mourners attended Sister Margaret's funeral. Oh, two, honey. I know. Two priests spoke at the service. One of them, Father Jerome Swatecki, called her death, quote, not only blasphemous, but patently absurd, mm. which is like... It's a weird reaction. Kind of a weird way to phrase that, I guess. He did I mean, it. I'm, I'm sure he said other things as well, but that one line is a little strange to Absurd me. Absurd seems like the wrong word to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not only blasphemous, but cruel or If there's only one thing or, you take away from the years of wine and crime, it's to be real careful how you respond to the death of a loved one or a colleague. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Watch because your words we carefully. will finger you hard. Oh, we'll finger you so hard. But well, for there's somebody of, else. Oh, God. There's somebody else we need to finger harder, though. So We're going to finger so many fucking people. <laughs> the other priest who spoke at her funeral service was 44-year-old Father Gerald Robinson. I he did pronounced, it. I almost pronounced it Gerald. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> Father Gerald Robinson, who was the priest who had recently upset Sister Margaret by shortening the Good Friday service. I I knew it. I knew we'd be back to this. Mm -hmm. He was also about to become the prime suspect in her murder. Oh. Oh. The detective. (laughs) The detectives on the case were looking for somebody within the church because of the religious Mm -hmm. nature of the murder. What's more, the vicious nature of the crime suggested a personal vendetta, like you said. But Sister Margaret had very few connections outside of her immediate church community, aside from like her siblings who, I don't know. Are not going to stab her 40 fucking times. With upside down crosses through a cloth at an altar and disrobe her. Right. 
They're just going to run her over like a normal family. (laughs) Poison. (laughs) Fucking come on. But one person of interest stood out. Father Gerald Robinson was known to complain about Sister Margaret being, quote, domineering. Oh, Oh, fuck you. Overbearing. Patriarchal piece of shit. And he resented her input on his work. Mm-hmm. She's or also been doing this slacking. 30 years longer than him. Yeah. You lazy mm-hmm. sons of bitches. Mm-hmm. He didn't like that she was a woman. Mm-hmm. Just read between the fucking lines. Mm-hmm. The Good Friday service conflict was just one example of their frequent clashes. He was a younger priest. He'd been ordained only about five years before. And Sister Margaret found him lax and insufficiently devout. Here for it. It was a complicated status situation. Um, This is me editorializing, but it's true. Um, She had seniority and was very pointed in her criticism of him. But at the same time, he was a man and a priest, which garnered Mm -hmm. him more power in the church hierarchy itself. Yeah, Mm. like he holds a higher position in the hierarchy, but she fucking knows her shit a thousand times better than this motherfucker ever did. This this reminds me of the... The movie Doubt with Meryl yes. Streep and Philip yes. Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. It's so yes. fucking yeah. good. But it's like the same it relationship. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Also, Zach's uncle was Philip Seymour Hoffman's roommate in college, and they were best friends, and he was the best man at his wedding. You've mentioned well, this. Well, none of this fucking matters because times. he didn't even come well, to your wedding, so we're not even that close of friends, I guess, because you know how much I love Gilmore Girls, and you know I've always been Team Max Medina, and you couldn't even drag his ass to Africa for your nuptials, so I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> I, I don't think him. he's even real. I don't think he's even Zach's uncle. Fucking prove it. I, I want to see Zach the 23 exists. in me. I want to see the DNA test. They Show have me the, the same receipts. face. Zach yep. looks more like him than he looks like Kenny. Hi, Kenny. Receipts. Thank you for listening. Okay. Receipts. <laughs> so, Father Gerald, or Gerald, uh, was brought in for questioning two weeks after the murder, where he claimed that he knew who had killed Sister Margaret because the killer had confessed to him. Oh, wait. But rather conveniently, he explained that as a priest, he was unable to reveal any more information given to him in the confidence of the confessional. That's not true. I've asked. Mm -hmm. That's not true. Yeah, it's just like a a doctor-patient privilege. There's like, if you are harmful to others or yourself, they're supposed to fucking report. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, he's not going to snitch on his goddamn self. So anyway... Before detectives were able to get much further in this line of questioning, however, Deputy Police Chief Ray Vetter, Eddie Vetter, who just oh, happened God. to be Catholic. I was inter- going to say. Mm-hmm, uh, interrupted, the church and the cops. God damn yep, it. The interview and allowed the priest to leave mm-hmm. without any charges. That's obstruction cop. of justice and that fucking cop should be fired and put in jail. Yep. Deputy Chief. Bye. Mm-hmm. Detectives, Deputy Chief Motherfucker. Yeah, detectives were extremely suspicious of his confession story and of Gerald in general. Um, also, because beyond the 
obvious motive uh, that other witnesses like attested to. Investigators also had uncovered pieces of potential physical evidence uh, when they searched Robinson's office. So they found a sword-like letter opener with an eight-inch blade. No. Uh, you do That's not- just a sword. Envelopes yeah. aren't that big or difficult yeah. to open. That's right? just a straight-up knife slash b- tiny sword. Look at the photos on the drive because it is just a straight-up sword. It's like yes. a, not a letter opener. It's a straight-up sword. Um, and also, yeah, what this, the fuck? That it's even shit. It, yeah, that's a sword. Yeah, you done. Um, this was exactly the right size to have inflicted Sister Margaret's wounds. But also remember, yeah. this is 1980, so like they weren't able to do the kind of forensic testing that oh, they could yeah. do on it now. I was say check for the blood, right? Uh, Police were able to bring the holy man back in for questioning and gave him two lie detector tests, but he passed both of them. Mm. Meanwhile, Deputy Chief Vetter had requested that the detectives turn over their reports on the case to him personally. No, 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 no. And some did, and those reports that were handed over to Vetter were mysteriously never seen again. Yeah. Honestly, none of this surprises me. Mm-hmm. Consider Considering, like, for example, the pedophilia that goes on in the Catholic Church right. and has been a rampant for oh, decades. Yeah. And we will get to it in my case, mm-hmm. but there have absolutely been alliances between the Catholic Church and, like, local police. And they yeah. fucking protect each other all the time. I this think is ca- not yeah. an unfamiliar situation. Catholics in general. I mean, the c- not just the police. It's like the entire. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's anybody. It's power structure. Yeah, positions yeah. of power. Yeah. yeah, it's family ties. It's all yeah. sorts of allegiances. It's just like mm-hmm. strong as fuck. I'm also mm-hmm. not surprised that he passed the lie detector tests. Mm-hmm. Because in some yeah. way, I mean, he he's a fucking priest. He had to have somehow convinced himself that this was justified. necessary and justified. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So if he thinks he's right, then he's, mm-hmm. yeah, he's not going to give those signs of distress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the and second he feels- tests are known to be like pretty inaccurate. A lot of them end up being inadmissible <laughs> in court anyway. But like, yeah. yeah. All you have to do is like clench your butthole a bunch. Right. Yeah, That's I mean, come on, do. I do that all the time. Do yeah. it right now. Um, also, just want to make it clear saying. that, like, like some Catholics will, just like, you know, there are bad apples in any bunch. Like, some Catholics will bend to this immense pressure, but not all will. Here's the thing, I, though. Here's the thing. This is like that not all men argument. All, not all men is not saying that, yes, every man is a bad apple, but all of you are responsible for upholding justice and calling out that behavior within your community. So, like, while yeah. I don't say that every member of the Catholic Church is obviously a fucking monster or, like, everyone in a position of power, no, but the fact that that community as a whole for decades and decades and decades have had an ongoing record of, right. like, covering up fucked up shit. Right. That's a collective responsibility to expose that and bring justice. It's why my grandmother left the Catholic church after being a devout Catholic for years. It's why she fucking voted for Obama. Like that is some badass shit when you're in your hundreds. 
God bless her. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. I remember my grandma and grandpa. They went to separate churches because my grandmother was such a devout Catholic. And as things were coming into the news about the uh, like sexual abuse within the Catholic Church, she left the Catholic Church, and that was like a huge fucking deal in mm-hmm. our family for her to have done that because she wouldn't even go to the Lutheran Church with my grandfather throughout their entire marriage, and then she left the fucking church. Like, that's the kind of response that that shit should garner, in my opinion. Of course. I just meant that, like, because when, like, for example, JFK was running for office, people, his opponents used his Catholicism against him. It was a different time, kind of, and, like, Catholics were seen as, like, you know, like an odd minority at the time. But um, people would use his Catholicism against him to say that, like, he would be serving two masters and like Trump has used a similar argument against like, you know, judges in the U S who happen to be Sikh or happen to, you know, have Mexican ancestry or whatever Mm. saying that like, they're going to be inherently biased and inherently bad at their job. And I just wanted to say that like, of course that's not the case, right? but people should have absolutely called out, especially this vetter fuck Mm-hmm. For what he did, as yeah, a as 100%. speaking as a former Catholic, I think that when there's an element of faith involved, it's a completely different ball game, and you can mm-hmm. overlook a lot of bullshit in the name of your faith, depending on how you justify it to yourself. Well, and there's so much fear too, and you don't want to fucking go to hell. There's for fear. Putting a there's toe guilt. Out of line. There's shame. Yeah. There's all sorts of shit, specifically in the Catholic Church, that 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 there. This is super fucked up. None of it surprises me. But that said, if I were involved in this in any way at the time, it would, Mm -hmm. it could, I mean, I'm sure there was a very real crisis of faith to a lot of people involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It would be like reporting your own parent. Right. For murder. It would be, yeah, it'd it'd be extremely difficult. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, because eternal fucking damnation is a lot, is a really scary thing. Yeah. Right. So like okay. the not I, yeah whatever the fact that it's a religion that it's r- r- tied to a religion especially a religion as kind of severe as Catholicism it, it adds very a huge layer of complication to it mm-hmm. right and some people can navigate that better than others mm-hmm. within a month of Sister Margaret's death her case was dropped due to quote lack of evidence. How can you drop a murder case? I don't fucking care. The evidence is that she was murdered. You don't just drop a fucking murder case. Yep. One month later, they were like, sorry. And then just let it become a cold case after one month. That makes... My blood is boiling. Mm Mm-hmm. The end. Special thing. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I will not allow it. The power (laughs) of Christ compels you to finish this fucking story. (laughs) There's more. Okay. 24 years later in 2004, which for context was the height of the Catholic child abuse scandal in the U.S. or like one Mm -hmm. of the heights of this ongoing never-ending scandal. Mm -hmm. The Toledo Police Department received a Jane Doe letter from a woman who claimed that several area priests, including Father Gerald Robinson, Mm -hmm. had both sexually molested and performed satanic rituals on her when she was a child. Good fucking Lord. Because he's a fucking gross pervert, awful man. Mm -hmm. 
Even more disturbingly, the letter writer also claimed that she had personally witnessed these priests murder a small child as part of a ritual sacrifice. No. The fuck? With a letter opener, I bet. Probably. It looked like a sword. Um, Toledo detectives were not able to substantiate these particular accusations because so much time had passed and it was... He said, she said. Right. But they did notice the Father Gerald link to their still unsolved murder case in the Mm -hmm. cold case files. So they turned Jane Doe's accusations over to the cold case unit, which used them to reopen Sister Margaret's murder investigation into Gerald Robinson as the prime suspect. Using new forensic techniques, investigators were able to match prints on the bloody altar cloth to the letter opener that had been taken from Robinson's office as evidence back in 1980. Thank you. Fucking finally. They also re-interviewed witnesses and found three different people who remembered seeing Father Gerald near the chapel on the morning of the murder, whereas when he gave testimony to detectives in 1980, he claimed he hadn't even left his room that morning by by the time that she was killed. He lied like a motherfucker. Mm -hmm. Father Robinson went on trial in 2006 and maintained his innocence throughout, claiming that he had been shocked by the murder in 1980 and was equally shocked to be accused of committing it decades later. The prosecution claimed that Robinson was introverted and high-strung and that he'd been growing more and more resentful of Sister Margaret's, quote, nitpicking. Ugh. Jesus. Until the Good Friday blow-up caused him to finally snap and murder her the next morning. Yep, just take out a nagging woman. Mm Mm-hmm. Heaven forbid she has some fucking standards. Yeah. (laughs) For one of the most important services of the year, too. Mm-hmm. Right. One of the prosecution's key witnesses was a Roman... And this, this part was actually a little controversial, but it's interesting, so I'll allow it. Mm-hmm. Fucking get Dan Brown over here. Um, <laughs> one of the prosecution's key witnesses was a Roman Catholic, Catholic expert on exorcism and the occult. Okay. Um, who testified that the religious symbols used in the killing, quote, proved it was done by someone with deep knowledge of the church and its rituals and who wanted to humiliate someone who considered themselves deeply devout. So it was like a person, it was like an extra personal attack on Sister Margaret because she was so devout. Was so devout, yeah. I mean, whatever, yeah. this is this is expert witness testimony. I feel like that is very plausible and makes perfect sense. Like that would be my takeaway of this is like if someone stabbed a bunch of upside down crosses on me, I wouldn't give a shit. But if I was a nun. Right. Yeah. That would be horrible. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, I would give a shit if someone stabbed me, but the shape of the stab wounds, I could give a shit. Right. So anyway, if it was a dolphin. Oh, my God. That is a personal attack. (laughs) Yeah, Amanda would care. I wouldn't care. It could be a dick. I wouldn't care. Okay. Uh, Meanwhile, the defense focused on the lack of DNA evidence, pointing out that DNA found under Sister Margaret's fingernails did not match Father Robinson's. But, like, Mm -hmm. 
she could just have DNA under her fingernails from living her right. life. Scratching right. her butt. Like shaking shaking someone's hand. Like who you know, like Right, it, and maybe he snuck up on her and she didn't like scratch at yeah. him. Like there's right. a lot was, of reasons why there wouldn't be his DNA under her fingernails specifically. Right. Um, and like other physical evidence did match mm-hmm. like his possessions that were found in his office. Yeah. Uh, and that's not fucking circumstantial. Like that's solid enough to be like, okay, you know more than you're fucking saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, Father Gerald Robinson was finally found guilty and sentenced to 15 years to life in prison for the brutal killing. Church historians stated that this conviction marked the first documented case of a Catholic priest killing a nun, but probably mm-hmm. not the first ever case because I know what mm-hmm. Amanda's case is. Mm-hmm. Well, right. this would have happened before mine. 1980. Yours oh, was earlier, uh, I think. Yeah, yours was earlier. Okay, but not by much. It was like around the right. same time. Yeah, I think it was in the 60s. It was the 60s. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Robinson continued to insist on his innocence and filed appeal after appeal from prison. Most of the appeals focused on the lack of DNA evidence tying him to the crime. He also suggested that the real murderer was Father Jerome Swatecki, the other priest who spoke at Margaret's funeral. Um, but Swatecki had already passed away, so like he couldn't defend himself. Oh, and, and- how co- fucking convenient that mm-hmm. Gerard... Mm-hmm. Gerald be like no it was this other guy who died a while ago let me mm-hmm. out yeah and Cute. it's like okay well did you, if he confessed to you decades before you could have done something about it and you didn't right. too late now motherfucker yeah a DNA test paid for by Robinson's defense lawyers uh, also found that the material found under sister Margaret's fingernails was not Zwatecki's mm-hmm so it's not like the DNA evidence supported this right. claim at all. Robinson's case was taken up by the Ohio Innocence Project, which I found sort of interesting. But Yeah, I'm kind of surprised then, that they would take they, that case. Yeah, well, they can't always get it right. Um, mm-hmm. And none of Robinson's appeals were ever successful, and he died of a heart attack in 2011 at the age of 76. Bye. Although he had been banned from public ministry, Robinson remained an ordained priest until his death. Mm -hmm. And despite outcry from survivors, activist groups was still given a full priest's funeral by the Toledo Diocese. What? Yikes. Yep. Full honors and rights. The head of the diocese stated... Quote, whether in the eyes of God, Father Robinson was or was not guilty of this crime, I do not know. I do know that he is the work of God's hands, as are we all. He was a sinner, as are we all. Mm-hmm. No. But not we all are murderers. I'm so not that kind of that. sinner. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? I also... I <laughs> sin all the time. I still haven't fucking killed anyone, though. Mm-hmm. Intentionally, as far as I know. I guess I should yeah. qualify that. <laughs> That's a mortal sin. Yeah. Yeah, there's levels yeah. of sinning. Wow, that case is twisty. Yeah, that's, that's wild. Up. Isn't that fucked up? It's very, yeah, Dan Brown, whatever uh, the book is super called. Super Da Vinci keep, Code. Da Vinci Code, that's what it's called. Yeah. 
Love it. Nice job. I know. Thanks. Let's take a mental health break with a word from our sponsors. Let's do it. Care Of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to get the right vitamins, supplements, and protein powders for your specific needs. So whether you're looking for glowing skin, hello, Mm -hmm. more energy, Mm -hmm. hello, better Mm -hmm. sleep, hello, Mm -hmm. or something to support your health and fitness routine, Care Of helps you build (laughs) and stick with a plan that's right for you. This time of year, the holidays, it's super easy to fall off track when it comes to your health, wellness, and like fitness routine. I don't have much of a fitness routine, but I definitely know that Mm -hmm. I deviate from my normal schedule around the holidays, as does everyone just with travel and all that fun stuff. And as the holidays approach and things start getting busier, adding some extra support for energy, immunity, and stress can help you find balance and stay healthy. The immunity part of that is so huge for me, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, You guys know that I am super into vitamins uh, and care of really gets me because... Uh, you basically, you take a short, fun five minute quiz and you answer these easy, fun questions about your diet, lifestyle and health needs. You know, we love a good quiz Um, and the questions are really thoughtful. So it's like, you know, are you vegan? Are you paleo? Like, do you, um, are you, do you have any allergies? How often do you exercise? Are you thinking about getting pregnant? Like it's just, it, it's very comprehensive and it's like very Mm -hmm. visually appealing this quiz. Yeah, it really is. It's so cute. It's really cute. And then you get research backed recommendations with all the like vitamins, supplements and or protein powders that you might need based on your completely personalized quiz results. I already took a bunch of vitamins before taking the care of quiz, but then I found other vitamins that were better for me to be taking and I switched up my routine a little bit. I'm really glad Mm. I did. And then it's also just so easy and convenient because care of is again, personalized for you, even down to the cute packaging. So the vitamin packs and protein tubs say your name on them. Mm-hmm. Which is like both like very cute and like good marketing, but also really helpful, especially if you have, you know, other people in your household. Right. Like for example, right. when my mother was caring for my grandfather, sometimes the like outside carer people would come in and they would literally give my grandfather my mother's pills. Yeah. <laughs> like it's Oh, yeah, no. and like, vi- like it was, sh- it was terrible. So like it, this, it just keeps the confusion out of it. It's like such a no-brainer. It's so good. It's easy for when you're traveling because they're in like daily packs, and so mm-hmm. you don't have to sort through your pill organizer thingy. Yeah, it's your great. weekly pill organizer. Yeah, it's just uh, I love care of. We all love care of. So for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter the code GALS50. That's G A L S 50. One more time, that is 50% off your first care of order. Go to takecareof.com and enter the promo code GALS50. Treat your health. Mm, treat, it. treat it. Away knows that everyone has a different travel style. That is why they make their carry-on in an array of colors, two different sizes, and two different materials, a strong yet flexible polycarbonate, and an anodized aluminum. Mm. Wow. Those are Mm -hmm. big words, and I feel like I nailed it. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> I have both sizes of the carry-on. So the carry-on and the bigger carry-on. I'm a little bit mm-hmm. of an overpacker, uh, and I have long flights, so I personally prefer the bigger carry-on, but both are great. Um, mm-hmm. The bigger carry-on, the one of my favorite things is that it has like an exterior laptop sleeve. Yeah, which is that is nice. Really useful for going through like TSA security. It's just mm-hmm. easily like whip that thing out. Um, it's also just it has like a built-in compression pad that helps you pack more in. Like I have, I'm an overpacker, and I have packed two weeks worth of stuff in just my carry-on and oh easily yeah easily that baby is a smooth ride it is like butter because they have Mm -hmm. four 360 degree spinner wheels it's amazing oh also an optional ejectable battery to keep your phone charged i take Mm, that thing with me everywhere now i do i love it and the the removable laundry bag to keep separate, like, dirty clothes from clean clothes. I also sometimes put my shoes in the laundry bag so that they're not, yeah. like, stinking up the whole the suitcase. The detail of these bags is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They thought of everything. They think of everything, yes. Yeah. So these suitcases yeah. are designed to last a lifetime, but if any part of your suitcase breaks, always standout customer service team will arrange for it to have fixed or replaced for you ASAP. And their 100-day trial on everything Away makes just gives you a little bit of peace of mind. You can take Mm -hmm. it out on the road, live with it, travel with it, vibe with it, Instagram it, get lost with Mm -hmm. it. If you decide Mm -hmm. it's not for you, you can return any non-personalized item for a full refund. No ifs, ands, or asterisks. That said, Mm -hmm. you can personalize your suitcases. Mm -hmm. I love that. You should get a dust suitcase. I oh. tried to, but it's only three. It's like your three. It's like a monogram. Oh, so it DST. has to be like DST. Done. <laughs> Away also offers free shipping on any Away order within the contiguous U.S., Europe, and Australia. That's a lot of places. That's a lot Down of ground. Down under. You can also get Away offline, too. If you want to see it for yourself, you can shop everything Away at their stores in New York, Austin, L.A., San Francisco, Boston, Chicago, and London. We need to book a wine and crime tour only based on where there is an away store. Yeah. Thousand Pilgrimage. percent. Done yeah. and done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm about to actually travel overseas and I'm using two away bags. I'm using the bigger carry-on and the medium. Mm-hmm. And I'm like set. I have, I could basically pack half of my apartment in there. It's incredible. I'm so excited. There are so many benefits to away luggage. The suitcase is thoughtfully designed and very durable. Like we said, those details are impeccable. Um, All of the features combined help me keep everything organized. I really love that laundry bag. I love the compression. I just, it's Mm -hmm. amazing. Um, It's easy to carry up and down stairs because it's so lightweight. This is legit. With Kenyon's back, are you kidding me? Yeah. We can actually lug these suitcases everywhere. They have a nice minimal design that looks good in any context with any traveler. So mm-hmm. however, you I feel may very be. sophisticated with all my so away luggage waiting at baggage claim. 
I like when yes. you like see somebody else traveling with their away bag and oh, you and like you do the wave. make eye contact. Mm-hmm. Totally. Like a knowing You're smile. You're in the in club. Yeah. Yeah. Like we get it. Oh yeah. And just all the, all of the little features about it. The wheels that don't stick. The laundry bag for dirty clothes. Uh, the built-in lock that the TSA will not question. The way this suitcase is constructed really solves for a lot of the little headaches that you've learned to live with when you travel and you shouldn't have mm-hmm. to live with those headaches anymore. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. knowing that away will also fix or replace your suitcase ASAP if anything ever breaks means you never have to worry about your luggage. So what are you Uh waiting for? Get in a way bag and just be as amazing and happy traveling as we are. Uh So for $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com forward slash wine crime and use promo code wine crime during checkout. One more time, that's for $20 off a suitcase. Visit awaytravel.com forward slash wine crime and use promo code wine crime during checkout. Treat yo travel. Treat it. Treat it. Everyone needs more free time. Preach. Definitely preach. Think about all the things that you could do if you didn't have to go to the grocery store. Live my life. Yeah, live my life. And I don't know if it's just me, and I don't like to think I'm a bad cook, but anytime I'm I go to the grocery store to get ingredients to cook something specific, I always mm-hmm. have to go back a second time because mm-hmm. I forgot something. Because apparently I just can't make lists very well. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I would much rather be spending that time playing with my cats, cleaning mm-hmm. my living room, actually mm-hmm. cooking the food that I went to the store to get ingredients for in the first place. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. why we appreciate Instacart. Yeah, mm-hmm. Instacart lets you literally spend your time doing anything else. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. I also have the problem where when I go to the grocery store, even when it's for something very specific, I always overpurchase. Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. always grab that stuff from the checkout line. I grab magazines. It's like I spend an extra $40 mm-hmm. that I did not need just because I fell into the psychology trap of walking into a grocery store. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, Instacart has helped me. Me literally save money because I'm not buying things that I don't need. And it has so many other benefits too. Your groceries can be delivered in as fast as one hour or my personal fave at a time that works with your schedule. So I will literally make an Instacart order, like knowing that we have to record. And mm-hmm. then the person will show up with my groceries after recording is wrapped. And then I just have everything fresh and ready to make dinner. It's mm-hmm. so perfect. Don't even have to you put on pants. From- I literally only put on pants to go to the door and accept my order. It's amazing. Get a robe. Oh, well, sometimes I wear a robe. Um, But you order from the stores that you usually shop from. They have local and national grocery stores. And there are other perks like no sitting in traffic, no looking for parking, no dealing with crowds, me, the unhealthy impulse buys, seriously, Mm -hmm. or waiting in the checkout line, which I hate. Plus, it's so easy to use. You just order on the app, which is my personal favorite, or you can simply go to instacart.com to order. And here's how it works. You get that app or you go to instacart.com and order the groceries you need from your favorite local stores. And your personal shopper gathers your groceries with care, picking excellent produce, just like you do, or if you're me, better than I would ever do it. Mm -hmm. And contacting you if necessary, like if there's an item that they're out of or it just doesn't look really great, Mm -hmm. they will let you know and be like, hey, do you want to swap it with something else or whatever? Yeah, because it's Um, an actual human doing the grocery shopping for you. It's not a drone. It is a person. Mm-hmm. And then your groceries will, awi- will arrive in as fast as one hour or at a time that works for you. It is incredible. We love Instacart. 
So try Instacart and get $10 off and free delivery on your first order. To get this limited time offer, download the mobile app or go to instacart.com and enter our promo code GALS, G-A-L-S, at checkout. That's $10 off and free delivery on your first order today in the mobile app or at instacart.com. And don't forget to enter that promo code GALS, G-A-L-S, treat yo life. Mm, treat it. So we can't talk about nuns without talking about the keepers. So good. So good. So good. And Rachel, our fan picker, specifically requested this case, so I'm going to do my best to do this justice. But obviously, this is going to have to be abridged um, because this case is massive. It has lots of twists and turns. It has lots of theories. And if you have not watched The Keepers on Netflix, you should stop right now and go fucking binge it. You will not regret it. I Mm -mm. binged it twice. Oh, yeah. I think I've watched it three times. I, I'm mm-hmm. obsessed. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, the victim in question is uh, Kathy Sesnick, and we're going to start with her and give you some background on her to get us familiar with who this woman was, um, courtesy of the one and only Murderpedia. Catherine Ann, quote, Kathy Sesnick was born November 17th, 1942. Our girl was a Scorpio. <laughs> and also a Catholic religious sister, which we learned from Lucy earlier is not exactly a nun, um, who taught English and drama at the formerly all-girls Archbishop Keogh High School in Baltimore, Maryland. On November 7th of 1969, Kathy Sesnick disappeared. Her body was discovered on January 3rd, 1970, near a garbage dump in the Baltimore suburb of Lansdowne. Her murder remains unsolved, though thanks to the amazing investigative prowess of the folks who created The Keepers and the several women who continue to be dogged armchair detectives in this case, Mm -hmm. we have some solid theories as to what happened to her, and we will get to it. Mm -hmm. So Kathy was living with a friend and colleague, Helen. Quote, like Sesnick, Helen Russell Phillips, known to her friends as Russell or Russ, was a member of the School of Sisters Notre Notre Dame, and an, an order of nuns devoted to education. According to journalist Tom Nugent for the Baltimore City Paper, the two shared a two-bedroom at the Carriage House Apartments in the Westgate District of Baltimore. Oh, quick, were, quick aside. Yes? I remembered from when I was reading about that, um, the nun study, the Alzheimer's study, mm-hmm. the School Sisters of Notre Dame or Notre Dame, whatever, is one of the convents that they take the brains from. No way. Nice. Way. Oh my God, I love when each segment like connects. Connects Ugh. like that. Like beads on a rosary. Right? <laughs> like neural pathways in a brain. Oh. oh. I love it. Both are also living through a period of quote exclaustration. Ouch. Which is yeah. <laughs> which is not a menstrual side effect, which it sounds like. Ouch, my claws. Um, my exclaustration. <laughs> No, this is when an order member temporarily lives outside of their religious bounds to decide whether they wish to continue living that life. It's basically Catholic Rumspringa. It's a Rumspringa. Okay. So for Phillips and Sesnick, they were participating in an experiment during this time to get real-world experience to better connect with the young students they taught, which I think is so cool. Mm -hmm. This meant residing outside of the convent, dressing in civilian clothing instead of habits, and teaching at a local public... Or wimples. And teaching at a local public school instead of Archbishop Keogh. So they did a little bit of both. 
This, uh, in theory, could also have been orchestrated intentionally by higher powers to remove Sister Sesnick from the convent, knowing what was to come. And again, we will get to it. Mm. On November 7th, 1969, Kathy left the apartment that she shared with Russ to go shopping at Edmondson Village Shopping Center. She was shopping that day for a gift for her sister's engagement. Uh, Meanwhile, Mm. today is my sister's birthday and I haven't gotten her shit, but happy birthday, Ashley. I love you. (laughs) And if I had gone out... If I had gone out to get you a gift, I could have been taken and murdered. So you're welcome. <laughs> That's why Ashley, I didn't do it. You are a saint for putting up with your sister, Amanda. Yep. So thank you. Yep. Thank you for your service. Um, yeah. <laughs> so records show that Kathy cashed a paycheck at First National Bank in Cattonsville that night and possibly made a purchase at Mooley's Bakery in Edmondson Village since a box of bakery buns was found in the front seat of her car. And who doesn't fucking love baked goods? So obviously. I'm so fucking hungry. I know. <laughs> the car, in muddy condition, was found illegally parked across from her apartment complex at 4.40 the next morning by Sister Helen's friends, the priests Peter McKeon and Gerard J. Koob. Koob. <laughs> Residents of Carriage House Apartments spotted Kathy in her car at approximately 8.30 that, following, or that previous evening, and others spotted her at her car um, when it was illegally parked across the street and around two hours later. So around like 1030 at night, there are different witness testimonies of when they saw her. So the timeline is a little bit tough. Sister Kathy would never illegally park. I was just thinking that obedience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As reported in the keepers on the night that Kathy went missing, it was Phillips who, so Russ, the roommate who first realized that a roommate could be in trouble when she didn't come home before 11 PM. That was like un heard of. Kathy was Mm -hmm. an early to bed, early to rise kind of gal. Instead of calling the police, however, she called two, the two Jesuit priests in their community. That's uh, Peter McCann and Jerry Koob. And it was later speculated that Jerry possibly had a romantic link to Kathy. So I know he was looked at as a suspect. Mm. Um, The three of these individuals eventually did call the police around 1am. I think they'd made an attempt to locate her and they were not able to. So they were like, fuck, now we got to call the cops. But they probably didn't say fuck because they're like a bunch of nuns. Um, (laughs) Shoot. Darn it. And discovered Kathy's empty car later that night across from the apartment complex's parking lot. So police searched the area immediately following her disappearance, but did not find her. Then on January 3rd, 1970, her body was found by a hunter and his son. And like, why is it always a fucking hunter or a fisherman? Because they're out Mm -hmm. in the woods. I know, but Mm -hmm. I go out in the woods sometimes and I've never found a body. It's not fair. Just give it time. Just give it time. You're you're right. I'll be patient. Take up fishing. Mm -hmm. Um, Ugh, Mm. no. They found her in what was referred to as, quote, an informal landfill, which is basically what we call my walk-in closet, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, located yes, in a yes, remote area of Lansdowne. An autopsy performed by Deputy Medical Examiner Werner Spitz. Oh, the names revealed, in this case. They're so They're good. so 60s. Revealed that Kathy died from an intracerebral hemorrhage following a fracture to her skull from a blow to her left temple by a blunt object. Ugh, mm. ugh. I have a thing she about was, temples. Eh, I can't. Yeah, so she was hit oh. in the head. Now, here's where we're going to get into more deep shit. 
So while Kathy was teaching at Archbishop Keogh, it was alleged that two of the priests, Fathers Joseph Maskell and uh, E. Neil Magnus, these names will be fucking triggering, yeah, mm-hmm. were sexually abusing the girls at the school in addition to trafficking them to others in the community. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, including these, law enforcement, right? Yep, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, these allegations went nowhere at the time, and it wasn't until 1995, so many years later, when 30 two, years later, <laughs> yeah, when two former Keo students, Teresa Lancaster and Jean Winner, filed a lawsuit against Maskell, Richter, the school, the school sisters of Notre Dame, <laughs> the archdiocese, and Bishop Keeler fucking slay all day. Mm-hmm. Burn but it all to the ground. They fucking tried. Um, but this is America, and this is the Catholic Church, so unsurprisingly, the court dismissed the action as time-barred by the statute of limitations. I literally Ugh. wrote Q rant on how this fucking statute of limitations bullshit should not exist. It's just Who like, does it serve? It serves yeah, the it, perpetrators and no only, one else. It's so fucked up. And an appeal upheld the court's decision stating, quote, that the mental process of repression of memories of past sexual abuse does not activate the discovery rule. That's like new evidence, basically. So if you watch The Keepers, you know there's a lot of talk about the uh, mental health work that specifically uh, Jean went through and all of the repressed memories that in later therapy sessions started to come back to her. And they mm-hmm. wanted to be able to enter this evidence as like new discovery because she had blocked it out. And so yeah. it, it so like didn't like exist it in just her happened. mind. Yeah. Exactly. But that was not held up. Um, that didn't fly in court. So, But to sometimes this quote, it does. Yeah. In, I think it, it depends in this case, on the, it didn't. the judge and the jurisdiction. Yeah. Right. It's all going to be dependent on all that shit. Um, So the plaintiff's suits are thus barred by the statute of limitation. Kathy was no idiot and also not the type to not believe when a girl would come to her with their story. Um, She got wise to the shit that Maskell and Magnus were up to. And Jean even said that Kathy once came to her and said, this made me just like lose it, said, quote, gently, are the priests hurting you? Yeah, this woman tried so fucking hard to protect these girls. Um, Both women have said that she is the only one who helped them and other girls uh, abused by Maskell and speculate, though not all that wildly in my opinion, that Kathy was murdered because she was planning to speak to the Archdiocese about the abuse in the coming weeks after her murder. Well, yeah. As we know now, it was a huge network of sex Uh trafficking. So if she Mm -hmm. were to pull that thread... Yep. Her yeah. mur- so I mean, her much murder is the least down. surprising thing in the context of how this all this Absolutely. went down. Because mm-hmm. a lot of powerful people had a lot to lose if this was mm-hmm. exposed. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. um, including the Catholic Church. Like, yeah. they operate like a fucking mafia in a lot of ways. Oh, absolutely. That's super fucking spot When it on. comes yeah. to covering up their own shit, yeah. Yep. Well, wherever there's so, money involved, there's corruption and bullshit. And, oh, and there's a lot of money in the Catholic Church. Holy money. shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's scary. So, though there is currently no physical evidence linking Maskell to the inv- investigation, It was revealed in late 2016, probably because of, like, The Keepers, which came out in 2017, but all of that was in active, uh, like, investigation. They were creating the show. That the Archdiocese had paid off numerous settlements to Maskell's alleged victims since 2011. 
So they're giving them fucking hush money. So there's no physical evidence that links him to these cases, but they're paying off these exact victims that were coming for Maskell specifically. Mm-hmm. So Jean, one of our resident badass survivors, continues to state that two months before Kathy's body was discovered, and this is fucking wild, and only a day or two after Kathy disappeared, motherfucking Maskell drove her, drove Jean, to a wooded site alone near Fort Meade and showed her the body of oh, Kathy. God. Yep. Mm-hmm. Jean says she remembers trying repeatedly to brush off the maggots crawling on Kathy's face while frantically repeating the words, help me, help me. Mm-hmm. It's a poor thing. She's Her account old? was uh, At this time, she would have been uh, like a young high schooler, so maybe mm-hmm. 14, 15. Jesus fucking Christ. That's so yeah. disturbing. So traumatic. So her account was brought into question by scientific evidence showing that it would have been impossible for maggots to be alive at the, at the relevant time of the year. However, the pathologist Werner Spitz, the dude who performed the autopsy for, on Kathy, later confirmed that there had been maggots in both the victim's mouth and trachea when she was found. Mm-hmm. And meteorological records mm-hmm. also disclosed that the temperature that week was high enough for maggots to hatch. So we got fucking forensic meteorology up in here this saying it was entirely has possible. Everything. It has everything. Meteorology, maggots, Stephon. evil forensic yeah. hit after hit, psychological <laughs> repression, naughty <laughs> fucking priests. Yeah. <laughs> so Jean says Maskell said to her, "Quote: You see what happens when you say bad things about people." Ugh. Like when he brought her to look at the body. So he did it to threaten her. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, to keep her yeah. fucking mouth shut. Intimidate her. Yep. Several days later, on November 13th, another body was found, the body of Joyce Malecki, a 20-year-old woman who looked a whole lot like Jean, who had just been fucking threatened by Maskell, was discovered by hunters in the same wooded location where Maskell had driven Jean to see Kathy's body. The fuck? Yep, this weird, like, connection slash lead went nowhere because, once again, Maskell's DNA couldn't be linked to anything. This dude was fucking careful. Um, and it was also the, the late 60s, so there wasn't the same kind of technology that we have now. So um, is the theory in, that Maskell might have killed someone thinking it was Gene? That is not necessarily the theory, but we'll kind of talk about that. Okay. Um, we'll get to theories in a couple minutes. So, uh, in a super irritating development, Maskell fucking died of a stroke in 2001, leaving a lot of dead ends. I know. Dead ends and unanswered questions. Uh, The case remained open, and several telephone calls to police from the public linked Joyce to Maskell, saying that the two knew each other, that they'd spent time together. Um, It didn't say anything about it being, like, romantically. She probably sought, like, religious counsel from him. Mm -hmm. But the case remained... The case remained freezing fucking cold, like... No one knew what happened here. So or the fact that she was, looked like Jean was... Was likely a coincidence. A red herring, yeah. And, mm-hmm. But he did know both of the victims. Okay. Yep. And the fact that he had brought Jean to the same area where this woman was then found like a few days later mm-hmm. is obviously a red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2016, the Baltimore County Police Department reassigned these cases of Joyce and uh, Kathy due to retiring officers, and this prompted new interviews and further investigation into the sexual abuse at Keogh. They ended up actually exhuming the body of Maskell to do former DNA testing with the more current technology available, hoping that this would be like a huge 
you know, mm-hmm. blow the lid off of everything, but they did not find a DNA match to evidence from the crime scenes of either Kathy or Joyce. But mm-hmm. there's like no other DNA fucking either. So yeah, like we said in your out. case, yeah, it doesn't necessarily rule him out. It just doesn't give us that hopeful definitive answer in that moment. Mm-hmm. That said, and like we just said, police spokeswoman Elise Armacost announced that this discovery did not, in their eyes, exclude Maskell from being a suspect in the case. We also really don't hear much more from Sister Russ again, even when the Archdiocese of Baltimore began facing lawsuits from former Keogh students alleging that they'd been sexually abused by Maskell. Uh, Russ really doesn't get involved or testify. According to her friend and former nun, Patricia Gilner, who was interviewed for The Keepers, uh, Russ just really didn't want anything to do with the convent life after Kathy died. So I think mm-hmm. that that kind of ju- like really shocked her. She just her. wanted out. Yeah, she wanted out. So she left the convent. She got married. She had two children. Um, she settled down in Carroll County, Maryland. And those who knew her at the time said that she did not ever want to talk about Kathy's death. She said mm-hmm. that that was her life before and that now she had a new life. So she really just wanted to fucking walk away from all of it. Or maybe she was intimidated too. I would be. It's very possible. I mean, and that comes up in the keepers. Like, yeah. who fucking knows what was said to this poor woman to mm-hmm. make her completely walk away. I mean, the trauma of your friend and roommate dying alone right. would be mm-hmm. enough. That's intimidating by itself without it having is. to overtly be intimidated yourself. Right. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if anyone came down on her as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, Russ is no longer present to tell the story in her own words. Um, they do talk about this in The Keepers, that she was diagnosed with cancer in 1997. Um, and she died two days after Maskell in 2001. Oh, my God. Isn't that weird and creepy? Yep. That's weird. So, obviously, a huge wave of interest was sparked after the release of The Keepers on Netflix in May of 2017, and since Kathy and Joyce's murders, two more murders have occurred in that area that are eerily similar to Kathy's. Um, on October 16th of 1970, 16-year-old Pamela Lynn Conyers also disappeared from the Herondale Mall. What's starkly different here, though, is that Lynn's body, which was discovered on October 20th, 1970, in Anne Arundel County, was dumped between the eastbound and westbound lanes of Maryland Routes 177. So, like, on a, on a center like in the grassy median? median, yeah. Oh, so, like, not uh, even trying to hide it. It was just laying there. Mm-hmm. So that's that's odd, it, but like the de- her being fitting a similar profile and being abducted from a mall parking lot is the, is the big weird thing about it. Mm-hmm. It blows and my then, mind when bodies are dumped like right next to busy highways. Mm-hmm. And how long you can go without noticing. Mm-hmm. People, I know people are busy, but like, damn. Mm-hmm. We got blinders on, y'all. Yeah, even just like how long it would take to pull your car over, get out of your car, Mm -hmm. drag someone out of your back seat or the trunk or whatever, drag them down into the ditch a little bit, and then get back in your car. Yeah, like cars have nobody see it. A highway in the middle of the night, though, can be a quiet place. Yeah, it depends on where. Freeway. This is a a route. Yeah, not even necessarily this, but like. I feel like Mm -hmm. bodies are dumped along highways a bunch, and it's just, like, Mm -hmm. shocking to me. Mm -hmm. Then almost exactly a year later, on September 27th, 1971, 16-year-old Grace Elizabeth Montaigne of Franklin High School disappeared from 
Reisterstown Shopping Center. So we've got like a, a, a significant amount of young women around the same age fitting a similar profile being abducted from shopping centers and then so, found later dead. So is there a competing theory that this was a serial killer that wasn't involved in the church and that Kathy we'll just got get caught to up? It. Okay. Yep. So her body was found two days later near, near Mount Auburn Cemetery in South Baltimore. The abduction from shopping malls was absolutely a huge part of the MO here and links both of these murders to Kathy's because she was abducted in a similar manner. So we've touched on the theory that Kathy was murdered as a cover-up by the church, which is absolutely what I believe. But another theory bouncing around is that of a serial killer separate from Maskell or it's possible that Maskell could have continued to kill after Sesnick like not feeling either fulfilled with his revenge or maybe he got like a fucking taste for it Ew. and it worked the first time around. So he just kept mm -hmm. doing it. Well, um, do we, does Maskell know these, these last two or we or could a the, link be it, found? It does not appear that a link could have been found. So this mm -hmm. is some wild speculation. Mm -hmm. um, some more juicy tidbits came out of the keepers. Um, according to the docu-series, the night before Kathy went missing, Magnus and R Maskell pay an unexpected visit to Kathy and Russ's apartment. And witnesses to this incident remained completely anonymous. It was like someone said it was a student or a boyfriend who saw Maskell and Magnus show up at Kathy and Russ's apartment. But mm -hmm. like no investigator could go, go back and then solidify that. So it's mm -hmm. just sort of like a, yeah, witnesses saw this, but we can't prove that that actually happened. And since no mm -hmm. one was able to talk to Russ, right. no surviving person could tell you why the fuck they were there. Exactly. Wow. So I'm just going to go ahead and take the rest of our time here to focus on this piece of human trash, Joseph Maskell, because this is some fucking really weird, creepy shit. Yeah, he was a class A creep. Yes. So according to Wikipedia, after graduating from Calvert, High, Calvert Hall College High School, Maskell went to seminary for priesthood training. He was ordained on May 22nd, 1965 at the age of 26. His peers have described him as, quote, deeply intelligent and, quote, fascinated with psychology, mm -hmm. which he used on his victims. Gross. Mm -hmm. In 1972, he earned a master's degree in uh, psychology from Tosin State University and then a certificate of advanced study in counseling from the fucking Johns Hopkins University. So he was not yeah. an idiot. No. Unfortunately. Just think, Amanda, what you'll be able to do when you get your psych degree. I know, right? <laughs> think of who I'll be able to manipulate and torture. <laughs> So the Keeper's documentary also mentions that he learned fucking hypnosis oh, while he no. was getting his degree. I know. This is this guy is like a super villain mm -hmm. with like powers. It's so gross. And a priest. Yeah. Ugh. And in the documentary, our hero Jean discusses her quote therapy sessions with Father Maskell. And Father Maskell's network of cohorts, including police, other clergymen, businessmen, an entire fucking bullshit club of the fucking patriarchy living in mm -hmm. this community mm -hmm. prior to her quote therapy sessions. And I will be continuing to use these in quotes because fuck this shit mm -hmm. with father Maskell. Jean went to confession with father Magnus. Oh no. And yep. And confessed that her own uncle had molested her. 
So now oh. they're armed with this vulnerable piece of information. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They can uh, re-victimize her. Oh, and they do. And this part is really fucking gross. Warning. During this confession, the priest, Magnus, asked to see her face and asked her name, which at least at the time was not something that was done that's during not confession. something that's done period yeah i can't mm -hmm. i can't attest to modern day confession but like i that, can I, that's, and you don't yeah. do that <laughs> you don't fucking do that no gene also later recalls father magnus masturbating during her confession where she's telling him that she was fucking molested by her uncle ick great yep Soon after the confession, she was stopped in the hallway at school and approached to begin her, quote, therapy sessions with Father Maskell and Father Magnus. Mm -hmm. She was told her sexual encounters with the priests were part of penance, and they almost described it like an exposure therapy so that she could get over the abuse of her uncle. Through a, their own abuse to her. Yep. Mm -hmm. They even referred to their semen as being holy. Ooh. Uh, yep, and having like healing elements. Gene and other accusers also claimed that members of the police force also took part in the sexual abuse. So like, again, in The Keepers, which please, 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 please watch, she talks about being on school premises, like in Maskell's office where he would... Mm -hmm engage them in these quote therapy sessions abuse and, and rape her yeah abuse and rape her and then other members of the community whether they be his cohorts within the church like other people at the school police officers local businessmen would basically arrive for their own appointments to sexually abuse for her and turn. these other young girls mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's so unbelievably sick I just um, don't know how these people can live their lives I I, delusion runs deep. Yeah. Like, how can and you power, like, go to the grocery store and pay your taxes and shit when you're also this I know. fucking monster? Compartmentalization. I think there's like, yeah, there's compartmentalization. And I think there's like a sick pleasure in getting away with it. Yeah. You know, like, think about the high of being on like a hot streak at the casino. You know, you feel like untouchable and you just keep thinking, okay, maybe I can push this a little bit farther. And it just like, mm -hmm. it mm. reiterates all it. Your brain is capable of releasing all kinds of fucking chemicals that then activate pleasure centers in your brain. And it's like a whole reward system. And it can link to mm -hmm. that to some real fucked up shit. It's really gross. And that secret, I will the take 10 part, more pull tabs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the secretive part is part of that. Absolutely. Like, yeah. So Jean and other victims claim that uh, members of the police force took part in the sexual abuse. So it was like, who do you even fucking go to at this point? You know, like the people mm -hmm. who are supposed to serve and protect you are also raping you. And then yeah. we wonder why victims don't fucking come forward. Like there's no system that allows these people to get the justice that they deserve. Yeah. So this also comes as no surprise because the Baltimore Sun reported that, quote, in addition to his pastoral and teaching duties, Father Maskell has served as chaplain for two police agencies, the Maryland State Police and Baltimore County Police, as well as for the Maryland National Guard and more recently for the Air National Guard, where he held the rank of lieutenant colonel. So he was fucking mm -hmm. in with a lot of high-level systems of power, and his own brother, Tommy, was also a fucking cop. So yeah, like this right. dude he was, in was basically with all untouchable. The systems of power. Every single one. Yeah. 
But allegations against Maskell continued to mount, and the church couldn't look away forever. But did they face the allegations with the intention of justice? Not so much. So according to the Baltimore Sun, they, quote, sent Father Maskell to the Institute of Living, which is a $900 a day private psychiatric hospital in Connecticut. After a six-month stay, evaluators found no evidence of sexual or serious psychological disorder, according to hospital documents. (laughs) Yeah, because he's a psych major and not a dummy. Oh, yeah. Exactly. He had a spa vacay. Yeah. And he was only there for six months. Like, I, I can't. The Archdiocese also employed their own investigator, which I'm sure was super legit. But after several months' work, he was unable to corroborate the women's allegations, which they are not women. They are fucking girls. So Mm -hmm. Baltimore fucking son, be mindful of your wording. Mm -hmm. Uh, Father Maskell returned to Baltimore and last August became pastor of St. Augustine. So he basically was sent away to this retreat, this psych retreat, loosely investigated and then sent back to Baltimore and just became a pastor of a church that was like around the fucking corner from Bishop Keogh High School. Mm-hmm. Still, the allegations came pouring in. So what does he do now? He flees the fucking country because that's what an innocent person does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he has help from the church. So I don't think that was entirely his decision. I think I think he was absolutely on board with it, but I think the church was also like, okay, let's, fuck uh, let's maybe move you somewhere else and get some of the heat off of us. Mm-hmm. So Father Maskell fled to Wexford, Ireland in 1994. This was shortly after Jean came forward with her allegations of being led to Kathy's body by Father Maskell. Like all of this stuff is coming out in the mid-90s um, because Jean now having worked through a lot of her trauma is actually like remembering a lot of the shit that happened to her. Mm-hmm. And after God, police- God, I forgot un- so much of this. I'm going to have to rewatch the whole series. Oh, and this is this is tip of the fucking iceberg. Like there's so much more. Yeah. It's also interesting that he left for Ireland like right after uh, police uncovered a fucking treasure trove of incriminating documents, including psychological profiles of Maskell's victims that he himself had buried in a Baltimore graveyard the previous year. Oh, no. Yeah. So this in motherfucker buried... He buried boxes of records of the young girls that he, quote, treated with therapy in a fucking graveyard in Baltimore. But yeah. he's not guilty. Oh, my God. That's legit. He is Definitely. a villain. Right? He's such a villain. So according to the Irish Times, quote, by the time Maskell arrived in Ireland, he was ordered not to perform any priestly duties. (laughs) So clearly the church was like, hey, we can't have you tarnishing the image of the Catholic Church anymore, but we, like, don't really give a fuck that you were doing this to kids, so why don't we, like, pull some strings and get you in with the HSE? Which is, I have this written down here. It's a it's a health it's a health service executive, so it's like a state health situation. Mm-hmm. So since the HSE refuses to release any information about the hiring process of Maskell while they conduct their they have they're doing this super long drawn out investigation, which I think is still ongoing. There's no concrete evidence to indicate that Maskell's employment was coordinated with the help of the church. But it but was. It's the mm-hmm. fucking Catholic Church, and they sent him to Ireland. Yeah, like home base. Let's, yeah, let's Besides just the Vatican, call this what it that is. Besides the Vatican, that is home base. Yeah, exactly. So he was employed by this health service executive as a fucking clinical psychologist. Oh, Great. good. Let's give him more powers. Yep. 
He only worked in this public health sector for six months before going on to work in private practice instead until 1998. But the circumstances of him leaving uh, the HSE after that short a time are still unknown. And again, their their fucking investigation is like airtight, Mm -hmm. so they won't release that information. Abby Schaub, one of the ex-students at the center of the Keeper's documentary who went to Keogh, um, who, uh, blah, 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 sorry, requested information regarding the circumstances of Masco's employment and sudden termination of employment with HSE. But again, the HSE in Wexford has declined her request for information. And I love how they this, can just say they're investigating and keep that going on forever as an excuse right? to not release any information. I know. Or probably I'm, do an investigation at all. Right? Yeah. It makes you wonder what the fuck they're even doing. Nothing. Um, and this poor woman, Abby, said that the public has a right to know how Maskell came to be employed and his activities in Ireland, fucking obviously, and queried why the investigation was taking so long. Quote, the HSE announced in June of 2017 that they were going to investigate how Father Maskell was hired to work with children in Wexford. The public has a right to understand what happened. Americans would like to know who in the U.S. recommended Father Maskell for employment. She went on to say, quote, he fled to Ireland to avoid a pending trial on sexual abuse allegations in the U.S. Those who were harmed in America and in Ireland deserve to know the full story so other youngsters can be better protected. Fuck yes, queen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So obviously the release of the keepers also brought Irish victims out of the woodwork, uh, which concerned the HSE for its patients that he oversaw and according to the Irish Times quote the HSC announced in June of 2017 that it had launched an investigation into quote any concerns arising from the temporary short-term employment of Maskell by the health board in 1995 however despite being employed for just six months the investigation has taken two fucking years it's still going with the HSC unable to provide any timeline for completion mm-hmm. great so I guess all we can hope is that this indicates that they're taking their time and combing over everything. But the more unfortunate reality is that the Catholic church is wide reaching. And like you said, this is kind of the homeland. Mm-hmm. So like, we don't know how much dead, money right? and he's dead. Yep. So they don't care as much yeah. to take this, you know, to take this all the way. And I could see even after death and after this documentary came out, maybe especially because this documentary came out, the church funneling funds into silencing as much as they possibly can to save face. Yeah. Right. So everything is terrible. Yep. Just be a witch. It's way better. (laughs) It's way better. (laughs) Mm. Or be one of the good nuns and stay away Mm -hmm. from priests. Yeah. Honestly, nuns are great. Priests are terrible. (laughs) That's our takeaway. That's my takeaway. That's the abridged version of this episode. Special thanks this week to our very special fan picker, Rachel Spencer. Get it, girl. Nice job, Rachel. We would like to spend some more time with you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you also, Morgan Johnston. Mm. Lady Morgan with your $5 a month. Thank you very much. Or or sir, or neither, neither, or both. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Elizabeth Murillo. Your Elizabethan donation comes highly accepted mm. by the crown. <laughs> Amber Layfield, I would like to lay down in a field right now. 
Thank you Mm -hmm. for your donation. Amber Layfield, I emailed you yesterday. Thank you for your quick response. Thank you also, Kat Conley. Kitty Cat. I would really like your first name. We are purring (laughs) with appreciation. Oh, Mm, Thank you to Nancy Broom, all caps, a.k.a. Nancerella, princess of all these good. I like it. (laughs) Thank you for the confusing note that you that I have just read. I am ready to grab a broom and sweep all these allegations under the rug. (laughs) In all caps. (laughs) And thank you to Roxanne Whoa (laughs) You don't have to put on the red light Roxanne is my mail carrier's name There you go Love it Maybe they're the same person Thank you Nicole Harley We can Harley thank you enough Thank you (laughs) Kenyon And thank you Nicole And thank you, Samantha. You're uh, the our favorite character from Sex and the City. <laughs> have a martini on us. I had or you I as guess an American we'll have a girl doll. I did too. Mm. I didn't indulge. Oh, it's my turn. My turn. Okay, <laughs> Asma Moseni. I could. Senny a lot Reach of for that. your inhaler because you're giving us <laughs> asthma. Yeah. We need most of your generosity. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alana Stewart. Mm. We will be, we are stewards. You are our steward. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron Shopbuyer. <laughs> We're going to go shopping with Aaron Shopmeyer's donation. Thank you so much. And thank you, Mary Quants. I quants believe how generous you are. We can't quantify how important you are to us. Quants believe it. Thank you, Christiana Stensrud. We are ostensibly grateful to you. Mm. Don't want to be shrewd. Nailed it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you to Brittany Gibson. Uh, Gonna play you like a Gibson guitar. How was I supposed to know (laughs) that you were gonna donate? (laughs) (laughs) Donate, baby, one more time. One more time. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Michelle Ruiz. You are going to ruise us with your spoiling generous. I can't. Nailed we it. ruise the day that you, before <laughs> you were our Patreon supporter. Mm-hmm. Nailed. Uh, uh, Tess does things, one word, has increased their pledge from 2 to $5 a month. Friendly reminder, you can do that. And Tess, you do more than I do. She's I'm the impressed. Countess. I'm you impressed. do the things <laughs> by your aptitude. Thank you so much. Good job. Trudy is kicking off our $10 a month tier, which means Trudy will truly be honored with a free fucking patriarchy wine glass that is 
going to arrive in true time. <laughs> we speak <laughs> the trude. <laughs> I don't want to be trude, but... <laughs> Thank you to Kristen Randall also getting a fucking patriarchy wine glass. Uh, this glass does not have a handle. Oh, Randall. <laughs> Unless you put it in your dishwasher, then God only knows. <laughs> it melts itself into a handle. <laughs> Thank you to Charlotte, the second character from Sex in the City. We've had this special <laughs> thanks. There it is. <laughs> Who are the other ones? Carrie. Uh, Carrie and... Mm-hmm. Who's the lawyer? The Miranda. With the red hair. Miranda. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Charlotte, we'll toast our cosmos to you as well. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And thank you to Steph O'Grady. Ooh, kind of a rough episode for a name like O'Grady. Father O'Grady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> so I'd no. like to thank you and to also apologize for... <laughs> to maybe apologize. The luck of the Irish. <laughs> I'm apologizing to you, Steph O'Grady. <laughs> thank you, Layla Tamez. Tamas. Layla. Our, our Layla for you cannot be tamed. Got me on my knees, Layla. <laughs> is it Lala as in Vanderpump Rules? As in you Could make me want a Lala in the yeah. kitchen on the floor. I'll be your French maid. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll meet you at the door. I'm like an mm-hmm. alley cat. Drink the milk mm-hmm. up off the floor. I forgot how <laughs> gross that song is. You make me want to. You make me want to scream. Scream. Yeah. Okay. I have drywallers downstairs and they think I'm insane. Okay. Thank you, Laura Tyree. $10 a month. Laura wants to shout out their sister saying, 2019 has been one fuck of a year. Preach. Preach. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't have made it through without my sister, Pam. Thank you for being my rock and the one I can lean on through everything. You're the wine to my crime. I love you. I would never do anything this nice for my sister. This is amazing. And it's her birthday. And it's literally her birthday (laughs) when we're recording this. Oh, no. (laughs) I texted her. She's fine. (laughs) Thank you to Kaisha Medford. Uh... Medford? Hardly Noford. I used to live in Medford. Thank you, Kaisha. Thank you, Maggie Bauman. I bow down to you, man. (laughs) Or Maggie Bauman. Both or neither. Just going off the name, you know. I don't know. Thank you for your donation. Thank you, (sighs) Kathleen King. Mm. I'll bow down to you in your ermine robes. Ooh. Mm. Thank you, Kathleen, for your 10 bucks a month. Go ahead, Kenyon. Kayla Vitry. <laughs> God, Jesus. how did this get so fucked up? I don't know. <laughs> uh, um, I'm this gonna... is not a victory, Kayla no. Vitry. Nope. We have no vitriol towards you. Nope. Oh, that too. Elizabeth Beard. I would be thy beard if thou shalt ask me to be thy beard. Mm-hmm. I shalt not shave for thy mm. loyalty. Mm. <laughs> Thank you to Holly Lee. Holly Lee Lee Lee. <laughs> We're deck the halls with boughs of Holly. Thank you to Stephanie Hallett. 
Stephanie wants to shout out their wife, Beck, who's a big fan of the show and whose birthday was on October 2nd. So happy belated oh birthday God. to happy Beck, belated. the recording artist. Uh, the couple that whines and crimes together, let me tell oh. you. Thank you to Julie Dean. You're the Paula Dean of my heart. Mm. Booter sausages. y'all. <laughs> Extra booter. Jimmy Dean. James Dean. Jimmy Dean. James Dean. Thank you to Ariel Evans, who increased their pledge from $1 to $10 a month. Gotta love those increases. Ariel, um, I would share my dingle hopper with you. Oh, God. <laughs> we want to be part of your world. <laughs> Look at Thank this you stuff. To- Isn't it neat? Isn't it neat? Uh, Jeannie and Jackie Wagner, you make our collection complete. Thank you for increasing your (laughs) pledge. (laughs) Oh, my God. Amanda. Uh, Oh, it's me. Uh, Kashama Hart, you are kicking off our trash queen or king or neither or neither or both tier. And you have so much heart, Kashama Hart, that you are going to get a heart full of trash. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you to Melissa Roberts, who increased their pledge from 10 to 15 bucks a month. Gotta have that trash. Oh, thank um, you. I'm assuming you are Julia Roberts' long-lost sibling, so congratulations Obviously. on that. Super jealous. Yep. She's a gem of a human being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have a gem of a name here at $25 a month. You get to pick an episode, topic, and or case, and or wine. Laureen Bobo. <gasps> oh. Bobo. Ch-ch-ch-bobo. Oh, ch-ch-ch-bobo. <laughs> what's that, what's that Chinese joke that we heard 7,000 times, Kenyon? Something about don't who beat Bobo? Oh, I just remember what? Mama Hoo Hoo. <laughs> Oh, yeah, they, Lord. There were lots of the same jokes. We got to anyway. move on. Either way, <laughs> Bobo, send us your pick for a topic or a wine or a case or all three, assuming we can get them. You go, Glenn Bobo. You go, <laughs> and none for Gretchen Wieners. <laughs> um, also, make sure to send in yo shit, Brian Stambaugh. I hope you have the stamina to get through all these <laughs> special thanks, Brian Stambaugh. And thank you for your $25 a month. We will stand by for your case I'll pick. stand by you. I'll stand, I'll stand by, by you. you. <laughs> I won't let nobody hurt you. Okay. Sayaka Kato. Sayaka Kato, uh, who goes by Sai for short, $10 once-off donation. Thank you. Oh, that's a lot of mozzarella sticks, Sai. You Cy. do not Sayuk. Oh, no, you don't. And uh, neither does Laura Rhodes. They gave a $25 once-off donation and wanted to shout out her BFF, Nicole Fleeman, for her birthday. We signed Laura's butt at the Atlanta Mean Green. Yes! Hi, Laura. Oh, I remember butt. that booty. I remember Trying that to Gave that Amanda booty. Pink Eye. Yeah, it did. Love it. God bless. And last but not least, but definitely last, thank you, Natalie Larson, $25 once-off uh, we love you, Natalie. We love you, Natalie. We're Larson. not going to commit arson in your name. All, all right. right. And that's all, folks. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kali Yip. 
Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support and get a shout out on air, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers! Hey, we're the podcast Hot Tea and Cold Cases. Two best friends spilling the hot tea on all the cold cases. I'm Alexa. And I'm Allie. Join us as we uncover the world's most interesting cold cases. Are you a true crime lover and a fan of the paranormal? Tune in every other week for our sub-series Hot Tea and Frosty Hauntings, where we discuss all things haunted and spooky. You can find us on our website at hotteacoldcasespodcast.com. Join us for some true crime drama, crazy theories, and creepy hauntings. <laughs> and most importantly, all of our best friend shenanigans. Until next time, Allie and Alexa.